1: omakase it is episode number 215 I think maybe we maybe it's 217 maybe it's 218 been trying to work here with uh, Mike problems for so long it may just be a different week entirely but how are you doing John other than that
2: I'm doing I'm doing good I'm glad to be back um last time it took I was a half an hour it took about a half hour <laughs> after I'd already pushed it back a half hour before yeah. that so thank you for your patience yeah. Yeah. Uh, I came back I was in New York for my mother's birthday today. And I had to find a way to tell her that I had to go without saying I have to be on a wrestling podcast and watch five wrestling matches, so I have to cut your birthday short. But I did make it out.
1: That is some devotion. (laughs) We could just move the show back in day if you'd asked me. It wouldn't have been that big a deal. I wish I'd Uh, known that, John. (laughs) (laughs) But I work at home now. It's not like my schedule is uh, fucking jam-packed. I mean, back in the day, that would have been a problem because I used to get home. I had that fucking nightmare commute like an hour and a half each way. So I used to get home at like fucking seven thirty, and I'd never, like the last thing I want to do is record a podcast on a weekday. But now it's like, I log I log off at six and I'm in my room. So I mean, you know. Wow. Well, the good thing yeah. is my
2: mom has no idea why I rushed out of there. So I'll never, yeah. you know, it won't matter in the end, but boy, I, I felt bad. I would have felt bad today being like, Hey, can we push it back? So instead I bailed on my mom's birthday. <laughs>
1: I want to say for the record, I do not, uh, I do not endorse that. So, and, but uh, that's just been up with you. We, we Nicole and I went to um, one of our favorite Japanese restaurants in New York for the first time since pre-COVID on Friday, so that was cool. Have you done the indoor dining yet? You work in that industry, don't you?
2: I do, I do. And we had we've had people inside, but I hadn't done it myself. I, there was no reason for me not to if I was serving people. Um, yeah. I did eventually my my girlfriend's parents were in town and uh my girlfriend's dad just kept being like we're going to trust the science we're going to eat inside. And I was like, "Hey, you heard him." So <laughs> yeah. So I did eat inside somewhere and it's still strange. I flew somewhere and that was even uh
1: well, I haven't done that yet. Yeah. That that'll be September for me. I think it'll be the first time I fly when I go to uh Nicole and I are going to Lake Tahoe.
2: Oh, that's so. tight. I'll tell you what, get ready. I was in I was because I thought this whole time I've had the mindset of like, once I get the vaccine, like I'll be comfortable with everything. And then I walked, I landed in LAX, and I was like, oh, wrong, 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 I'm not comfortable <laughs> with this. No, no.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm mostly, I'm mostly pretty comfortable. I don't know about the the new CDC recommendations this week about uh, not need to wear vaccine, not, we need to wear vaccine doors. It seems like maybe like I don't know like three weeks early for that or something yeah and all the numbers are going down but I I would have liked to give it like another month but um but yeah I mean I mean New York hasn't even done it yet anyway or New Jersey like there I know I think Pennsylvania is one of the states that adopted immediately right well last time I don't know last time I was after
2: the CDC thing happened I was at work and we were serving people and a health inspector came in and was like you need the giant full face like um like the face visors to serve people and they shut us down, serving people inside on the spot. So I don't know yeah. if they took it on immediately. Maybe they did later that afternoon when I got out of work. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but
1: Well, there you go. Um, but yeah, so New York and New Jersey, where I, obviously I live in New York and I go to New Jersey a lot to like visit family and stuff that neither state has done it so far. So it really hasn't changed things for me yet, but I imagine they're probably going to adopt that soon. Um, but yeah, we, I just remember we were in, the, this Japanese restaurant, which is a, a place by the name of No No No, which is very good if you're ever in Midtown. Um, so we were in this restaurant, and Nicole and I are sitting there. And now we always, um, you know, just I, I guess mostly out of politeness to the staff, like our, our whole thing has been either, even for out, the outdoor dining we're doing, but especially indoor dining. If a waitress or a waiter walks up to the table, even if we have our mask down, I try to put them back on, right. you know, to yeah. be like it feels like that's only the respectful thing to do because they have to wear them uh we were doing this a couple times and this waitress finally says i'm fully vaccinated and like puts her hand up and then walks away and i'm like why would she say that like it (laughs) didn't click for me for a second and then i was like oh she's trying to tell us we don't have to fucking reach for our masks to put them back on every time because she either thinks Either she thinks, either she knows that we're doing it, like, to be polite to her, or even worse, she thinks we're doing it because we're scared of catching COVID from her. And she, which is another way, I guess you can read that, uh, read what we were doing. So, yeah, if we stopped doing that at that point, we basically took took that as you're saying, please stop doing that. I don't care. Yeah,
2: when I I brought food out to a couple of families on the later end of this who were like, they see me coming and they go into like a panic and start reaching over each other to grab their masks. And I had to be like, you're making me uncomfortable.
1: Like <laughs> no need. I know, <laughs> trying to be trying to be nice, uh, but you know, I feel I feel like we are free, like he was basically saying, stop freaking out. It's okay. But yeah, I mean, it's like whatever. But I, I, I think you know, they, all the stats are coming out. It's like if you are vaccinated, like the risk to you is so fucking low, even indoors. That like, you know, it's really nothing to be worried about. But it is just like a like a psychological mindset. You know, that it's going to be take time to get used to. Just like seeing people's faces again, Uh, and like, and like you know, not seeing all these masks all everywhere. So I get it. It's gonna be a transition period. I'm going to Atlantic City a week from Monday, like just to have fun and hang out and stuff. And uh, I'm kind of happy they haven't listed the mask mandate yet. I have to be honest. I don't know if I'm ready for uh, like my first time back in like casinos and bars and stuff. And like all this time, I don't know if I really need to see. Uh, people's bare faces, too. That seems like a little bit of uh, a. Like, I want to dip my toe in the water, not just fucking jump in. So,
2: one of my, uh, one of the dumbest things I did through the whole pandemic is, uh, and by the way, I'm like painting myself as a real, like, irresponsible pandemic guy, <laughs> but I'm like, I wear a mask all the time, all that. I know I just said the thing that I do whatever I want once I got vaccinated, but even now I'm wearing a mask all the time. But we, me and a couple of friends took a, like, a beach trip, and on the way home, we were like, "What if we just like stop through Atlantic City and see what it's like?" And we were like, "We'll just get a drink on the boardwalk. Don't go in it. Like, don't go in any casinos or anything." And we were on the Atlantic City boardwalk for like 15 minutes before we were like, "Oh God, what the hell were we thinking? <laughs> like, this is if we found out friends of ours did like, this, one, we'd never one, talk to them again. We got to get the hell when
1: out." When was of...
2: this? When was this? This was. It was. It was hot out still, so it couldn't be any later than like August or September. no it was a bad full stop bad idea no justifying no justifying (laughs)
1: but you know when you're i'm lucky i'm lucky i still have my comps i'm like okay borgata is so desperate for me to get back down there and i i I do not play that that high so so full disclosure i assume uh this is just like how desperate they are for people Mm. is they give me a fucking suite uh for free for two nights so i am uh, oh wow i'm very happy yeah i'm very happy i do not play at a level usually i play at a level high enough where like maybe I'll get a, a regular free room on a weekday, and that's it. But, but guys, like, you can come on a weekend for free if you want. If you come on a weekday, you can have a suite. I'm like, oh, my God. they are that desperate people. You know, man. I've tried but pretty the,
2: hard to score a free room on a weekday, and I've <laughs> thrown a lot of money out there. The problem really? is, I, what, do you, what do i you always it like, Wild West, and they're not giving away anything. Yeah,
3: you shouldn't play that. And for, like, the,
1: the, the, it's kind of, it's kind of, like, uh, counterintuitive, but the higher-end places... Like Borgata, Ocean. I don't know how many fucking listeners care about this. Like the higher (laughs) places in Lake City, Borgata, Ocean, they like go out of their way to comp more people. And I don't know. Like you don't have to play that. Like I play like $10 craps and like $15 blackjack. I I am not a high roller by any fucking stretch. And I never have a problem getting comp rooms on a weekday. So, you know, I think if you play. I got to try harder. uh, You know, that's my. That's the first
2: thing I'm going to do when I re enter the world. I'm going (laughs) to gamble my way into one free weeknight hotel room
1: in <laughs> it doesn't cost that much it really doesn't but yeah i mean i'm excited to finally uh play a little craps play a little blackjack you know craps intimidates me yeah. craps
2: is one of those things that like i watch in movies and i'm like that seems like the most fun thing on the planet
1: it is really fun it is by far it's by far my favorite casino game like there's really nothing like a hot craps table when everybody's winning because everybody's like on the same side, except for the weird don't players, but even they usually switch sides when the, the table's hot. And so you're all high five and like blackjack, yeah. you know, like one guy could be winning and the other two could be fucking going for, you know, going broke, but crafts, it's like, you're all winning or losing at the same time. Usually. So. I always
2: imagined blackjack before I ever had the courage to uh, play any table games to that. It would just be like that scene from uh, national lampoons, Vegas vacation i never uh, seen it. Oh, uh, well, it doesn't go well for uh, Clark Griswold. And uh, I was right. That's how it always has been for me at Blackjack Tables.
1: I've been really... I, I used to do well at Blackjack, and I have been like on the unluckiest streak at Blackjack. Like I am ready to stop playing the fucking game for the rest of my life. Because like, every single time, I'd say like the last, I don't know, three or four casino traps, it's like I do good at craps. I even do good at shitty-ass roulette. which, if you know the odds of roulette... That has like the worst odds of any game I play. And I've been doing fine at that. But Blackjack, I sit down with $100, I blink, and it's fucking gone. Or I sit down with $200, I blink, and it's, it's like they take my money at Blackjack so fucking fast. It goes away really fast. No matter <laughs> I or... lose every, because I lose every double, every split. It's just like, okay, well, I have to double this hand, so deer's going to have 21. And, yeah, well. Yeah, I've uh,
2: I'm always very. No matter how lightweight the table is, I'm always very startled at how fast the money goes away. Uh,
1: yeah, I so mean I- craps can be like that too. If you if you get um, get a few unlucky rolls in a row, but like blackjack is, but I don't know what it is for blackjack for me lately. Just every time I play, like I would be so far ahead in casino gambling lately if I didn't play blackjack. <laughs> blackjack is like all my only lot. My lot what I always lose my money in now. Just like, okay, it's time to stop playing blackjack. It's supposed to have the best odds of I the have, three games. I think that's like,
2: I think you gotta like know something. I mean, maybe you, 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 I feel like people who say that like understand cards more than I do. I just, I'm playing perfect basic strategy. I don't even know what that means, which explains okay. why I'm throwing away well, my money. That. Off well, then
1: you, yeah, then you're just fucking flushing your money down the toilet. I hate to tell you, uh, but yeah, <laughs> I mean,
2: it's okay. I, I had a feeling that. <laughs>
1: yeah, but yeah, if you play perfect basic strategy, which is really not that hard to learn, uh, it's like an 0.5 percent house edge game. Like it's really low, and. It, I, my i'm having the worst luck in the world of blackjack for whatever reason like i don't know if i just had really good luck before and it's evening out or what but like look we gotta get you back out there
2: you just gotta keep on that horse and soon you'll have the opportunity again
1: i think this time like i'm like oh maybe covid which i haven't played in so long now maybe maybe this will be my trip for blackjack and i'm just like i'm gonna sit down at one table and if I lose every hand, like, I, like it's been happening in the last few trips, that is the last blackjack I'm playing for two days. Well,
2: you know, they also like... they just opened <laughs> a brand new fancy casino like down the street from me in Philly. It opened during the uh, pandemic, yeah. and maybe I can just go flush my money down the toilet there and have a much cheaper commute back home <laughs> to wallow go. in.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I for me, like it's the half is like the gamble. Like, there really is no to like, reason to go there if you don't like gambling and drinking. But like they have a lot of nice bars, and then especially. It's nice, especially after losing money. But you know, winning money, losing money. Hey, to at you least know, go back to your home, go back to your hotel room, have a great view of the beach.
2: How, what's but the longest consecutive uh, period of time you've ever spent in Atlantic City? Uh,
1: I guess it would be three nights because I. Okay, so not three nights just to gamble though, because there's an anime convention in at Atlantic City okay. every year, believe it or not. So I go to the anime next every year. Back when anime cons were a thing. <laughs> And we would always go Thursday to Sunday. So I guess three nights would be the longest I ever spent. So usually I, if I'm going just to gamble, it's either one or two nights because I don't want to spend that much money.
2: So for me, it just just being there was driving me crazy. Because my girlfriend and I spent two and a half days in Atlantic City and like we, we couldn't just come home because we planned it around. My band had a show in Asbury at the end of the weekend. And after like 36 hours in Atlantic City, I was like, I'm going crazy. You gotta get me out of here. Because like she loves the beach, and you, you, if you sit on the beach all day, you just listen to that recorded Guy Fieri ad play over and over. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs>
1: no, I not honestly, <laughs> It was
2: like, no. like two summers ago, maybe three summers ago now, but I, I think it, it lasted as long as that Guy Fieri like, sandwich stand was at the entrance of one of the casinos. But I, I was sitting on the beach, and every three minutes, a Guy Fieri audio ad for his sandwich shop would play. And I wanted to like, pull my hair out. It was like the worst beach experience I ever had. I was like running out of money so quickly. Uh, well, apparently because you're not playing blackjack correctly. I know. So. I should have just Googled basic blackjack strategy. <laughs> I remember at one point, like I was walking, I went back inside to grab something and I was walking back out to the beach and I just dropped like 20 bucks in a sex in the city a slot machine, <laughs> and I was like, I've never watched this show once in my life. What, the, like, what am I?
1: <laughs> what am I doing? Yeah. What made me there's, do this? There's two things I'm gonna tell. Um, maybe I'm educating the listeners here too. There's two things you should avoid in any casino: slot machines and Kino. Those are two things that will take your money faster than anything else in there. So, and Kino is like the worst. Kino is. I don't know if you know what keno is. It's like when you basically pick numbers, like you're playing the lottery. Except like in real time, the climax to
2: the film National Lampoon's <laughs> Vegas Vacation takes oh, he place. A kino, he right? wins a kino, yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, so kino. I remember how I said Blackjack has like a 05 percent house edge, and you know slots are really bad. They have like a ten percent house edge. Kino, I believe, has like a fifty percent house edge. It's like oh, five cool. times worse than slots. So I'm just like, okay, don't ever play this. I don't know. No, kino just like seems my so far
2: fetched to win. In the, yeah, at the moment, like, there's no thrill there. It never feels good. Yeah,
1: I mean, my friend. I have a friend. Uh, my friend Ethan, who always insists that his grandmother could never lose a keno, that they would go to Vegas as kids and she would like win every single time. I'm just like Ethan. She wasn't telling you about her losses or something because it's yeah. just not not mathematically possible for yeah. someone Sorry. to always win a keno. Sorry,
2: Ethan. Grandma's full of <laughs> shit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she was not telling you about her losses, which I'm sure were many, but. But, yeah, so there's a gambling talk, which we somehow spent 15 minutes on.
2: Uh, As a <laughs> I listener, I'm, I would I wish this wasn't me. I wish I could listen to someone else have this conversation.
1: I would love this. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing going on, I guess, is the start of the hockey playoffs. Well, speaking of that, dovetails with gambling. I put 50 bucks on the Bruins and 50 bucks on the Panthers to win the Stanley Cup. Not with uh, the website that does not pay me on this network to – advertise for them so i will not advertise don't for get them any them. i don't get any of that action so i am not plugging them if you listen to any other podcast on this network you know which one i'm talking about but i'm not going to say their site name because they don't pay me unbelievable
2: uh, <laughs> especially after the, this the, we're gonna earn it with
1: <laughs> the ball the ball ad plays the, the whatever the fuck that's coming back soon they pay me the so go 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 shave your balls or whatever but the, the the gambling site – not pay me this week. So, But the gambling site, they do not pay me, so I'm not naming them. No, New Jersey has legalized sports gambling. So, you know, I don't have to use these sketchy sites or whatever the fuck. And, you know, I just asked my dad to go place the bet for me, which, you know, I just saw those – so both my hockey teams are eliminated this year, uh, the Rangers and the Kings. They didn't make the playoffs. It's not really a shocker, although apparently it was a shocker to the owner of the Rangers who fired the president and the GM despite the fact that no one on earth thought they were going to make the playoffs this year. well, You know, John, I'm a
2: lifelong Knicks fan. So I share the disdain <laughs> for the owner.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah. He usually, us, he usually leaves us alone and fucking only bothers you guys. Yep. And now he's like, well, the Knicks are great. They're in fucking fourth place. So that's good. That's as good as winning the title. Time to fix the hockey team. That doesn't need to be fixed. Cause they had a great reboot going. He's bored now.
2: He has to go fuck with you guys. So.
1: <laughs> but yeah, it's just harsh shit. But yeah. So the Rangers and Kings both not in the playoffs. Um, so I was like, right, to make this a little more interesting, I'm going to place a couple bets. I did the Bruins of the Panthers because the Bruins are playing the Washington Capitals, who I used to like, but I'm very angry at them right now because of uh, the piece of shit Tom Wilson, what he did to Art Teddy Panarin on the Rangers, uh, oh, right. like towards the end of the end of the season. And I, you know, the Bruins 12 to one seems like good odds for the Bruins. They're a very good team. And then I put the 50 on the Panthers because it's like. Who the fuck thinks the Florida Panthers are going to win the cup? They they, they haven't won a round since 1996. <laughs> but they're sneaky good. If they can somehow get past Tampa in the first round, which is a big F, I actually kind of like their chances. And it's 18 to 1 for them. So I've been like 900 bucks. So oh, that's hell cool. yeah. Yeah, so that's a cool bet. But then my, I, my dad calls me and is like, I'm riding with you. And that pretty much is my dad's voice. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I put the fucking 50 on both of them, too. I was like, why did you do that? Now I'm going to feel fucking horrible if they both get knocked out in the first round. Because your dad I'm going to feel like I hockey? failed you as a... Yeah, he watches a oh, lot. I was
2: going to say, if he was just following you blind, I love this.
1: No, no, no he, well, he basically is. He basically is. He's just like... Because because last year, uh, you know, I told, I told his friend to bet on Tampa to win the Cup. Which, by the way, does not exactly make me prognosticator of the year. Mm-hmm. They're probably the fucking favorites anyway. And he did. I didn't. He did. And neither did my dad. And he made money. So now it's like, oh, Johnny Johnny knows how who's going to win. You got the hot and hand. I'm like, do you understand, you understand I made these two bets as, like, quasi-long shots, especially Florida, but even Boston? Like, just to, like, increase my enjoyment in these playoffs, they're not really, like – the most likely teams to win, and he's like, "Ah, right, whatever. I'm I'm riding with you." Yeah, he just wants the okay. action. He's just in it for the he's action. Who owns. cares? He is he is uh, a <laughs> he is a, a bigger gambler than me, I will say. So, uh, yeah, he does love those fucking slot machines, and he loves video kino, which is like maybe the one game that's not as bad as the real thing, because if they have to like use the the they have to like match the payouts of slot machines or something. So yes, yeah, so we really have to play kino. You should play video kino. Apparently,
2: hell, uh, so. writing this down. Uh,
1: <laughs> video kino, got it. My no, you shouldn't Asian play friend. that. If you absolutely have to play kino, video kino is better. But you should really stick to like table games and video poker. Like those are the best odds uh, in the casino. I used to sit in
2: convenience stores and play like the New York Lotto kino on the little TV screen in the corner. <laughs> you that the, what, do that. what do you think of that, John? You
1: That's a good <laughs> Definitely should not do that. But anyway, you're like, are you like a hockey guy at all or not? No,
2: no, I was when I was. Okay. I got into hockey briefly when the NBA had a lockout when, years and years ago, but it didn't. It didn't stick. I ran out of time for sports that weren't basketball. But I did. Yeah, I did I, win a fantasy league today, so I'm also. Oh. I'm raking it in.
1: That's good. <laughs> yeah, I I've been like. I've been a hockey fan for a long time. And I swear, folks, we're going to get to five matches at some point. Uh, I've been to a hockey <laughs> fan for like a long time. Like, I was a hockey fan when I was a little kid. And then I stopped paying attention to it until like 2007, I want to say, is when I got back into it. And it's crazy thinking about like how NBC is going to be done with hockey at the end of the season. Like, these playoffs are your last run. So what's the deal? What to- Even then,
2: they were only on like the, the NBC Sports Network, right? Or were they on...
1: So Okay, so when I started watching, Comcast and NBC were still two separate entities, and the NHL had a cable deal with Comcast, who either had just rebranded Outdoor Life Network to Versus, which that was what that was called for a while, and they had a broadcast TV deal at NBC. So those are two TV deals they had coming out of the the famous 0405 lockout that wiped out the whole season. So they had both those TV deals, and then... At some point, Comcast buys NBC. I don't remember exactly what year that was. I want to say 2010 sounds right to me in my head, 2010, 2011. And then they re ran versus as NBC Sports Network. And uh, the NHL signs a 10-year deal with them, basically making NBC Sports and, and, and NBC you know broadcast their exclusive home for like 10 years. So now it expired. First they signed with ESPN for half the deal. And then I think everybody – that happened like back in January – and I think everybody kind of thought NBC was going to take the other half of the deal. But my what I've read on the situation is basically NBC really balked at being asked to pay more money for half the content, basically, because they had the whole thing. And the NHL is like, well, we want uh, another $300 million for, you know half the regular season games, half the playoffs, and three out of seven Stanley Cup finals. And NBC was like, fuck you. And <laughs> so the NHL ended up going with Turner. So three out of seven cup finals will not be on broadcast TV the first time ever. Turner's got which is, the NHL? Did I miss it? Yeah, starting starting next year. I don't know how you missed it. I know, that's the wrestling. It's the wrestling, it's that's practically just <laughs> wrestling news. <laughs> yeah. I mean wrestling fans are going nuts wondering if this is gonna mean Dynamite has to move or something, which doesn't seem like it will because Wednesday night was always NBC's hockey night, but I don't know if and NBA and the ESPN has the NBA on Wednesdays. But I don't, I don't know if I, the NHL was married to Wednesday nights or anything. So also, like, I, I mean,
2: wouldn't you? I guess if you paid for it, you gotta, you're, you gotta, you know, serve it properly. But wouldn't you prioritize dynamite over regular season
1: uh, NHL hockey? I don't know. I mean, the ratings are better. Are but the, the ad revenue, the ratings are better for AEW, but the ad revenue is better for the NHL. Okay, well, I'm, I'm... so I think that's how it works out. But yeah, the NHL. You know where where the NHL is going to disrupt AEW, I think, is where the AEW gets disrupted already, which is the, the playoffs, playoffs. Yeah. because now because now 18, Turner's going to have to schedule the NHL and the M- NBA playoffs at the same time. You know, even though they only have half of both of them, but will probably get bumped off one like every week during the playoffs. Yeah, right? that's what I, I think I think during the playoffs they're going to get preempted like every week. That's what I, I do think that's going to happen. So I guess we'll have to wait and see, but you know, but that'll be starting next playoffs, not this playoffs. So this playoffs is the is the last ride with nbc and it's just really wild to think about how basically you know they, they nbc has had hockey my entire adult life and now it'll be like uh you know i mean fucking you know what 25 years or whatever the fuck no 15 years not that long yeah uh i'm <laughs> not that <long. laughs> yeah 15 years and you know like 2006 to like you know 2021 and yeah now they're they're not gonna have hockey anymore. It's just kind of crazy. I don't know
2: if I watched but. a hockey game that wasn't on the MSG Network in <laughs> in fifteen years. Probably. That's funny because I always,
1: watch, I, I, yeah, definitely because I always watch the playoffs. And the playoffs, oh, are I do on, watch the playoffs sometimes. Yeah, yeah, because like the playoffs are always on NBC, NBC Sports Network, CNBC for some reason. But <laughs> just always <laughs> kind of just, funny. It's like all these ads for like, oh, our normal programming and the primetime, are fucking. What, what the hell is that show that Mark Cuban's on? Shark Tank. Uh, Shark Tank, yeah, thank oh. you. Not, not a show to watch, I have to say. But yeah, he's like, oh, Shark Tank. And I'm like, what? I, do, why do you think like me, the hockey fan, coming to watch your hockey game on the stupid network is going to be like, yeah, I'll be tuned in next week for Shark and Tank. And I'm the one putting okay. on
2: my daily eight hours of Shark Tank on CNBC and, <laughs> and disappointed that I have the NHL playoffs. <laughs> <laughs>
1: there you go. Uh, but, yeah, this Florida-Tampa series in the first round, that's the highlight so far because these two teams have both been in the playoffs for, or have both been in the NHL since the early 90s and somehow they've never met in the playoffs. Uh, well, somehow, it's not that hard to figure out the mystery because Florida fucking sucked for the last 20 fucking, <laughs> 25 years. And uh, Tampa really has had lots of lean periods too. You know, they won the cup twice also. Right. But, yeah, I mean, this is their first playoff series ever. And they, both teams are trying to kill each other, so. Feels very fitting for Florida. Well, you honestly. know, and also now I
2: have, I'm also, I'm just going to live vicariously through your bet and make yeah, that yeah. my rooting interest in the NHL playoffs. Well, they just came
1: to the score on Florida, so now it's 3 2 Tampa. Oh, God, this is a terrible
2: <laughs> idea. What do <are> we- <laughs>
1: And Boston lost game one to Washington. So, yeah, they both, maybe they'll both go out in the first round and they'll look very stupid. I can always make another bet, though. That's what they always, they always try to do that, Chase. Uh, Chase good money after bad. It's a great thing to do in gambling. Well, make sure your so. dad's on the we'll level, too. Another- Don't leave your dad behind <laughs> on these catch-up bets. <laughs> make another bet in the second round. All right, we should finally get to some wrestling. So, 26 minutes in, here's some professional wrestling. This is like a flagship episode. Uh, we're going to talk about five matches. Uh, one, two, three, four, five. Because, basically, you were... Uh, so, I asked you to come on this weekend to discuss New Japan Pro Wrestling grand slam in Yokohama and all japan champions night two shows that i'm sure in an alternate universe are great but they didn't happen because of the the new state of emergency in tokyo uh which got extended as many people thought it would so i was like hey do you want to come do a five matches instead and you were like yes so that's what we did uh i will also quickly plug the patreon so with japanese wrestling doing nothing next week. I mean, literally nothing. Maybe there's some stuff, but certainly nothing uh, high end. I am taking a week off from doing the podcast free feed or Patreon for the first time in probably a million years. Uh, I'm still going to do audio on the Patreon. We're doing an awesome one match series right now at Tanahashi versus Naito uh, watching all those matches in order all the ones that made tape because there are actually a bunch early on that didn't make tape or not that ma- they made tape, but there's no footage because they're not in New Japan. Wall, are you up to the five minute I match? Find... Yet? I just did the five I, minute match, which I is I so, love, which is so I awesome. Love the match. Yes, <laughs> so that's the latest one on there right now for you for you to go listen to uh, on the Patreon, which I loved it as well. That's from the 2011 G1. Mm. Um, but yeah, so that will be, we'll still be doing that. So it's not like I'm taking time off and doing audio completely. But if you're listening to this on the free feed right now. Uh you will not hear me again for three weeks. Because next week I'm taking off completely. The week after that, the last week in May, uh I will be doing a Patreon exclusive episode uh with returning guest Joey Bay, and we'll be doing a best of the super junior final retro roulette since end of May, early June is usually super junior time. So we'll be picking uh five random best of super junior finals. So that should be a lot of fun. So if you want to hear that, you have to sign up on the Patreon want to hear me at all, and after 26 minutes of bullshit, how could you live without me? Uh, you have to sign up for the Patreon. Otherwise, it'll be three weeks from now uh, when I'll be back on the air. And I can't tell you what the is going to be about. I haven't planned anything for June yet. Kind of have to figure out if Japanese wrestling is going to be happening in June. You know? Uh, it looks like it will, but who the fuck knows at this point. Uh, but yeah, so June will be back on the free feed three weeks from now. Uh, if you want to hear me in the meantime, again, Tanahashi versus NATO, Every match in order. We're doing two of those a week. Uh, they've been a lot of fun to do already. And, you know, we'll be getting into all sorts of cool stuff. I mean, the next one I'm, I'm doing is, uh, the title match from 2011, which I'm excited to go back and watch. Uh, that'll be probably on Tuesday. So that'll be probably be coming out on the Patreon then. And then we'll be doing, you know, like I said, two a week. So those will continue. Uh, but yes, no episode at all. Next week, Patreon exclusive episode, best of super junior, uh, retro roulette in two weeks. And then we'll be back here on the free feed in three weeks. So if you want to hear me talk, which if you don't, I don't know why you're listening to this right now, uh, it's patreon.com slash wrestling omakase. Only $5. Gets you all of our audio, plus everything I've ever done, which I've done, you know, one match series on Tanahashi and Okada, all the all of those matches in order, all the Naito Ishii matches in order, uh, matches submitted by patrons, and we get all sorts of wacky shit. I mean, I've done everything from uh, Takashita versus the blow-up doll, Yoshihiko DT. I've done battle arts matches. We did this match a couple of weeks ago uh, from the Futen promotion. That was just insane to talk about. Like, have you ever seen Shibata do those shoot headbutts? They did like fifteen of them in a row. It was just Hell like yeah. I don't know how these people didn't kill each other. <laughs> but yeah, so that that was so really really crazy. So all sorts of stuff is on the Patreon. Plus every Tokyo Dome main event in order. We got all the way up to ninety five. Uh, we'll be restarting that whenever New Japan announces their next Tokyo Dome show. So, again, all that stuff is up there right now. G1s, Champion Carnivals, all sorts of shit. Patreon.com slash Wrestling Omikase, $5 a month. Uh, I, dare, I dare say it will be the best $5 you spend. Ooh. Yeah. So, I mean, what else are you spending $5 <laughs> on? I don't know. Like, like fucking $5. It's like, I, can't, I don't even think you can get, like, a Starbucks for that. That's not even
2: month. the minimum bet on the Sex in the City <laughs> <laughs> slot machine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, so let's get into these five matches. Your first pick was a match by the name of uh, Daisuke Masaoka and Violento Jack from the November thirteenth, 2017 Freedom Show. The event is called Heal Don't Think 2017, which might be the best like recurring show. Because I, I was scrolling through these shows on IWTV, which I always forget that they're on there. Although they don't seem to have anything recent, it seems like it ended in twenty twenty. Like they like
2: there's like a certain amount of time. Like they just added some newer stuff, but there's some. I think it's like a, a year has to pass. Well, it's already twenty twenty one, so I don't um, know. But they, they do keep adding
1: stuff, but there's some gap that has to pass. I say. I say. Um, but yeah, so this show, I mean, I was scrolling through the show and I'm like, oh, there's Heel Don't Think 2018. It's apparently a whole series of Heel Don't Think shows. Oh yeah,
2: shows. my favorite is, what is it? I think there's one that's like, we
1: love freedoms. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we hell love yeah. <laughs> um, so this was the main event of this show from Cork and Hall. A glass board and no canvas ring death match for the King of Freedoms world title. Uh, Masuoka was the defending champion here. Why did you pick this match? This yeah.
2: legitimately might be... One of my favorite matches of all time, and I didn't really uh, like actively follow Freedoms till a little later after this, when Takeda takes the belt from Jack. Um, so I recently went back and like you know watched the prior couple years before that because I I dig Freedoms a bunch. And this match, like no one really Violento Jack's been in the um, he's been in the tag team that's had that had the tag belts for like almost two years with Mammoth Sasaki and.
1: She also mentioned, by the way, he's an actual luchador. Yeah, like he's not a he's not a Japanese wrestler, which I had no idea until I looked him up. Because I was like, wow, this guy owns him. And look up more about him. It's like, oh, he's Mexican. That's yeah, cool. Does he, he wrestle Arizona or anything or where the fuck the the? Yeah, I mean, at least kind of assume that, but Japan I've never commercial. really looked
2: at what he did before he was in Japan. <laughs> I have no idea.
1: Yeah, but he seems to be like full time. Yeah, dude, he like speaks fluent
2: Japanese. I think now, or at least it sounds uh, that way to someone who doesn't speak Japanese. <laughs> he speaks <laughs> confident Japanese one way or another. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I know, and uh, he and uh, and Masaoka are, like, you know, people don't really bring them up in the, uh, in that, like, list of, like, can't-miss Deathmatch. Like, those guys that people who don't watch Deathmatch go out of their I way for
1: like I, I feel like I've seen Jack mentioned by Deathmatch fans. I don't know if I've ever seen Masaoka. But I
2: think they, they deserve to be in that, like, that tier of guys that people who don't watch Deathmatch respect, like Kadaka and Takeda and Kasai. Like, I think, like, these, like, to me, I see death matches, like, this spectrum where there's, like, dudes like Kobayashi who are just gross out who can't wrestle at all. And, like, on the other end is, like, I don't know, like, Takeda who could do anything and, and be one of the best wrestlers in the world. And, like, these two are, like, right in that sweet spot where they're, clo- like, way closer to Takeda, uh, I think. And, uh, yeah, this match rocks. And, and and Jack doesn't do a lot of cool – he's been in the Freedoms, like, tag team division, which, as you could probably imagine – like isn't that stacked or uh, or can't miss you know and uh he's had a match he had a match this year with Kobayashi in the in like the big Japan death match tournament so he's like back in like the the death match works again and Masaoka just came back from an injury but this match uh just rules and it does this thing where like i like with with death matches right uh to me all that like glass and blood and crap it's just another way to like escalate a match if you don't just you know use it for shock value alone. And I think this match escalates like so perfectly, like picture perfectly. Like we're going to talk about a Bret Hart match later. And I think this match like times its escalation just as perfectly as that Bret Hart match does.
1: Yeah. I mean, these two both like they they are both just seem like good wrestlers who happen to do death matches, death matches, you know, which, um, you know, they do some like, Oh, by the way, so I don't know. I don't know if uh, this is a normal thing. I've never seen a match like this with no canvas, and just seeing them on the wood, which is, you know, just see a bunch of wooden mm. boards, basically, is really jarring. I have to say, like, it's like, what the Oh, fuck? yeah. And I so love then, that you
2: have, if yeah. you look at uh, Toru Sagira, who's the champ now, is, like, running around replacing the boards as they knock them out of place the whole match. He's, like, trying to slide them back into place so nobody gets hurt. And, uh, like, watching yeah. them flop up like that, like, I can only think of, I mean, I'm sure there's a ton, but I can only think of one other big match like that. There was there was a, takeda kasai match the next year that was like the same thing with like boards flopping everywhere but yeah and that's the thing too you know you always hear wrestlers talk about like how that canvas is like deceiving and it really just feels like you're taking bumps on wood which is like another really cool thing about the trick of just lifting the canvas it probably doesn't even feel all that different but it looks brutal
1: yeah and you know like the they do a really good job in this match. They they start with some chain wrestling, which I always get a kick out of. I always get a kick out of watching deathmatch guys do that in a deathmatch anyway. But somehow it's even cooler just on the wood. Like doing chain wrestling yeah, on the wood. That first sequence is uh, so
3: great.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, the then they like they tease for a little bit like what the first slam on the wood will be. They build it up to it pretty nicely. Like there's a there's a spot where Jack almost hip tosses his dice guy coming off the ropes but Daisuke manages to land on his feet. That was really cool. But then Jack finally does give him this big scoop slam on there. Um, But yeah, there's all sorts of cool stuff. The only thing, um, you know, uh, there was a really sick spot, like right before the part I'm about to bitch about, where uh, (laughs) Jack does this huge DDT, like leaps off the second turnbuckle to drive Daisuke's head first onto the exposed wood on the apron. That was such a sick spot. The only thing I didn't love about this match was I thought the crowd brawling and stuff seems really tame compared to the rest of the match. Like, oh, here's Jack sending Dicegate's head into the east Sign, as per tradition. Uh, you know, it got pretty dull for me from the time they were crowd brawling until they like first got back in the ring. Just felt like there wasn't much happening, especially for a death match. But after that, it really picks up. Well, right mind.
2: after that, that that sequence... So when I sent it over to you, uh, I hadn't watched it in ages. And the first time I watched it again was about no, no, two hours ago. And they do the crowd brawl and you know, the crowd brawl's a drag. And then they get back in and it's immediately followed by like the worst looking surfboard. Uh, and when that sequence is happening, I was like, Oh no, is this match actually not good? Was I... <laughs> but it, it picks back up right after that.
1: <laughs> I, know, always, I always have that fear when I, I pick a match that I haven't watched in forever. I'm like, Uh-oh. "Uh Oh Uh but yeah, Daisuke does this really big acai moonsault to Jack on the floor. Very nice moonsault. Um, there's this like spot where Daisuke like, pulls some light tubes out from under the ring. Jack starts trying to do a dive to the floor. He gets hit with the light tubes in Dice- that Daisuke's holding in midair just as he starts throwing through the ropes. But he no-sells it, uh, bounces back on the ropes, and does a perfect tote paper on helo to Daisuke on the floor anyway. So that sick. was amazing. I have
2: that written down. Like I have that sequence written down part for part in, in my notes here. So good, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, and then Jack hits like this light tube assisted Uranage of sorts, and like, you know, Daisuke just like falls down the light tube as he lands. That gets a very close near fall. Uh, and then Jack sets up a glass board with a bunch of beer cans glued to it, which I don't know what that was about, but that was cool. Uh, he peels back like a whole bunch of the boards. He sets the beer can glass board up in their place, and then it gives Daisuke a fucking package power driver through it all the way. Into the bottom of the, in, into the bottom of the ring, absolutely. And you know insane. what the best
2: part is? Right before that, uh, they have this sequence where they struggle that ends in the superplex on the on the corner there, um, and like that whole sequence is like so intense and nothing like. I always have a hard time watching people do that like struggle on the turnbuckle because it always looks so cooperative to me. No matter how good they are, I thought that sequence looked so great. And when Jack finally gets the superplex, uh. Uh, Masaoka's back's already been bleeding so much, and he lands on a little bit more glass and When Jack is going to set up the piece of glass with the Coke cans on it over the hole in the ring, uh Masaoka rolls over and he just leaves this gnarly puddle of blood like right in the middle of the ring, and like that's what's like he's rolling around in his this newly formed puddle of blood while you're waiting for Jack to set up the next spot it's it It's so good,
1: yeah. Uh, Jack then, he brings Daisuke back in the ring But somehow Daisuke kicks out <laughs> I was like, okay uh, He then counters a military press By Vianto Jack Into a double knees to the face in midair Like that was, first of all That would be an amazing spot for any human beings To do in a wrestling match at all But for these two guys to do it After everything they've done you know, They just went through a fucking hole in the ring through glass They're bleeding profusely And they're like, yeah, let's do this perfect counter Like, that could have gone wrong Uh so easily. And they managed to pull it off perfectly, despite both being covered in blood. Uh, That was just amazing. And it gets another 2.9 count. Uh, Daisuke then gives Jack a shining wizard that sends him through the hole. That was awesome. He gives him a Meteora off the top rope to Jack, standing in the hole. The time I saw that,
2: I, like, put my hand over my heart and gasped. I've never seen anything like that before. I was was like, that's, like, the moment for me when he does the Meteora into the hole. Ugh.
1: It is crazy. And then back in the ring, he gives him a swine, continuing the Shima tribute, I guess, and then goes up for another Meteora, but Jack blocks it by holding onto him, and then just fucking drops him with a powerbomb, breaking more boards in the process. Uh, he covers... Like, this was a really stiff powerbomb. He covers, but only gets a one count, so he just slaps him in the face over and over again. Daisuke comes back with headbutts, suddenly like a fucking, uh, you know... I don't know, like a strong style match <laughs> is broken out here. Jack no-sells, hits a huge kick, and a lariat for yet another near fall. He finally hits another package piledriver on the boards, and that's the pin. Uh, amazing finish. I love that Just just like, started just doing fucking slaps and lariats and stuff. That was so great. Uh, match absolutely fucking rolled. You know, I had to take points off for like the middling middle period that could have cut out completely, but it's still an easy yep. four and a half stars. And they pulled out all the stops here, yep. which was awesome. Easy. Like, if you're not, this is one of those matches, again, like the Takeda match, that Takeda matches people talk about, even if you don't normally like death matches, if you can handle the blood, you will like this match. Yeah,
2: and there's these little details to it, too, because, you know, like, like, so there's the one part, the part before Jack catches him on his shoulders and power bombs him on the boards, it's one of those moments where, like, it seems like they didn't time things right, and Jack has to wobble around for too long, and, you know, I begin to groan at that. But then it works perfectly because he took too long and Jack catches him and reverses him. Like every time the match is doing something that I think isn't perfect, they fix it. And the other thing I love about it, every time the two the two times they go down in the hole, the first time when Jack does the, um, the package powerbomb through the glass in the hole, they lie down there for a while and this like perfect cheesy spot right after, he just lifts his bloody fist out of the hole and the crowd goes wild for it. It's like, such perfect like action movie bullshit for a match like this. And the same thing kind of happens later when Masaoka does the meteora into it. And he comes out first and the crowd pops for that. Uh, Just, just, well, I, I mean like my, my brain wants to give it four and a half cause there's problems, but my, my heart is screaming for a five on this one. I just love <laughs> the ending so much.
1: There you go. So that, you could just put the difference and say four and three quarters.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. I'll do that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there you go. That's our first match. Match number two uh, was my first pick. It's uh, Kazuyuki Fujita versus Katsuyori Shibata from New Japan, July 19, 2004. So this is Fujita's one and only title defense from his second reign as champion. He defeated Tanahashi on June 5th, 04 in Osaka to win the vacated title, uh, which was vacated by Bob Sapp. I think after he lost some MMA match or something k1 match whatever the fuck who cares he lost some fucking real (laughs) fight and and they made him vacate the title uh i think he may have lost to fujita actually so it was weird they made fujita uh you know be win a pro wrestling match to win the title but whatever was Um, he
2: hurt or were they just like i think he just didn't
1: they were just like well you lost a few fights so fuck off right okay and he was hard to work with anyway i think is a general idea so you know he did not want to do jobs really I mean, none of those, none of these MMA guys did. There's, so, okay. So, Fujita makes his, he wins the title, makes his one defense. Do you remember the match he lost the belt in?
2: Uh, I do, I've never seen it, but I know because you, of you who he loses it, it right? to. It's, it's yes. the, the three way with Lesnar.
1: No, no, no. That's the, oh, no. That's, his, that's his third right. Amazingly, they gave him oh, another yeah. fucking title right after this. He. All oh, right. This is only 2004, four. right? Oh, he yeah. oh. lost the belt to Kensuke Sasaki on October 9th at Sumo Hall, in the infamous 2 minute and 29 second main event, where Sasaki, Fujita had a choke on Sasaki, Fujita falls backwards, Sasaki pins him, because Fujita won't let go of the choke, and that's the pin, Sasaki wins the title. It is really not an exaggeration to say, this almost killed the company. Because the company was already kind of like, you know, not doing well anyway, and like, I've read that there was almost a riot in Sumo Hall, when that happened, people were like, fucking fed up, and yeah, this was like, you know, if, if one match is going to kill the company, this that might have been it. I mean, that really was like a big fucking deal. Like, the, it was a huge controversy in the press. I mean, just people were outraged. Um, you know, it's, it's funny, too. Maybe, it's... Well, I just want to say this. Maybe oh, this is why they're so – because people are like, why is New Japan uh, so obsessed with doing 30 to 40-minute main events? But one time they did a two and a half minute main event, they almost the company almost died. So Yeah, died.
2: <laughs> started a riot. So yeah. <laughs> Fine, 30. We'll go 30. <laughs> yeah, no, and also like Fujita, so like this period of New Japan is a total blind spot to me. I know the reputation, I know the whole Nokiism' thing. There's there's um there's matches from this period I've watched, but like Fujita to me, like I was a big MMA nerd out of high school. I know Fujita as a shoot fighter you know who like i know like fujita as the guy who would get beat half to death and pull it out so like so as a wrestler yeah that's the the whole thing yeah yeah um you know going against like fedor and stuff uh so as a wrestler you know it was always like a reputation. like i know i've seen way more old guy fujita for wrestling matches than i have from this period because um, it's
1: funny because in pro wrestling, he doesn't do that at all. He just, like, he doesn't sit, take a ton of punishment when he just kills people in pro wrestling. No, it's the, it's the total yeah. opposite. Yeah. And also,
2: like, when you look back at what, like, people he beat in MMA when he's young, he's the only people he's beating are the other pro wrestlers who aren't supposed to be there. Well, yeah. That's not true. He's got a couple good wins. He'd be like Mark Kerr. Um, but yeah, no, I used to, like, I used to be, like, super, I got into MMA, like, in the dying days of Pride, and I was, like, obsessed with finding old Pride DVDs. So yeah. that's, like, what Fujita is to me.
1: Yeah. But in the middle of that reign, there's this awesome fucking match with Sapporo in July. But yeah, I mean, like that, this reign uh, was, you know, ended really, really badly because Fujita didn't want to lose a real match. So that's what they did to get out of it. And they are like, here you go, buddy. Here's the title again. And then he loses it in that three way match where, you know, Lesnar pins Chono instead of him, which, you know, compared to this, that's uh, no big deal, I guess. But I think his first reign, his first reign, he vacates it. So he never got pinned. For this title, well, no, he okay, he did get pinned. He gets quote unquote pinned, but he never got like really beat, you know. For this title, it was like the first reign he vacates it. Yes. The second rain he f- falls himself down, choking the guy in two minutes. And the third rain he he doesn't get pinned in the three way. So, so he's he always been it. this way. There's yeah, not- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the job he did for Shugera was like the cleanest job of his career. I mean, I love Fujita. I don't don't take this as me bad math and Fujita, but he that's part of his. Lore is he he does not want to do jobs in wrestling matches which is you know fair enough. I honestly think we need more people that need that don't want to do jobs <laughs> cuz in a lot of ways modern wrestling is too boring when it comes to that cuz everybody's willing to put everybody else over and it's like, like come on. I he think about some... that
2: sometimes. Like would we give a shit about these Fujita matches if he was willing to take losses on a regular basis? Exactly.
1: I mean I I, I don't know. There's too many wrestlers who are too willing to lose to everybody. It's like I don't I don't like we need more more selfish wrestlers. There you go. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 <laughs> the, 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 the,
2: the most lauded period of wrestling is when everyone was an asshole in a dirtbag.
3: Let's bring that
1: back. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I also kind of thought of this one because we got Shibata Ishii on the Tokyo Dome Retro Roulette last week. So that made me think of Shibata, obviously. And Fujita, uh, you know, had, has kind of been the news lately too from his very short but very awesome GHC national title reign. Uh, yeah. So let's go back here to peak Ironhead. Uh, Shibata here. Yes, okay. So Shibata looks a little heavier, for sure less cut, than the form he would appear in later on. Uh, yeah. He's 24 years old here. He's about to turn 25 in November. He's also soon to depart the company uh, for his infamous time away. Uh, about almost exactly four months later, he'd have his last match in New Japan at the time, a losing effort to Tenru uh in the Osaka Dome. He goes freelancer after that and he returned for one match uh january 4th 2006 to beat hiroshi tanahashi for some reason mm-hmm. there's like shibata you left, you left this high and dry. come beat tanahashi it's like, okay he beats tanahashi at the tokyo dome that's classic enoki booking i guess because enoki was like are you an outsider the way vince is with the old people that's enoki outsiders it's like are you an outsider or do you have a name of mma would you like to come beat my entire roster Please, please do. but never And never ever, the roster never ever gets any payback on you. Let's go. Please come beat my roster. Uh, but yeah, so he beats Tanahashi uh, January 4th, six at the Tokyo Dome. And that's it for him in New Japan uh, until he makes his big return as an outsider again alongside Sakuraba uh, in September 2012. In fact, he did not do any pro wrestling at all for almost exactly five years. So he did uh, his last match was December 30th, 2006 for the super-obscure Uwai Station, which is the short-lived and little-known follow-up to Big Mouth Loud by the same ex-New Japan executive, uh, Fumihiko Uwai. Um So Shibata beats MMA crossover, uh, apparently trained by Takata, uh, Kazuhiro Haminaka? Haminaka, I think. Uh, five years later... December thirty first, twenty eleven, he and Sakuraba beat another MMA crossover: uh, Atsushi Sawada and a former sumo rakishi uh, Shinichi Suzukawa, on uh, a co-promoted IGF uh, Dream Show, the New Year's Eve show. Which obviously, you know, he had a fa- that was the five years apart. There is his l- largely failed MMA career. Yeah, uh, and then Shibata went back into hiding after that December twenty eleven match, and then finally shows back up in New Japan the following September. Basically saves the, saves the rest of his career, mostly part-time, until he finally goes full-time again. Uh, Fujita here is 33. That's jarring. He's like one of these guys who I've gotten used to just looking really old, and he does not look old at all here. Um, he's still got some time left in this New Japan run. You know, his, his final match of the promotions over a year later in October uh for this run, although he does take a long hiatus from November 04 to uh, June 05. Uh, like shibata he'd be gone from pro wrestling entirely for a while he doesn't re-emerge until he shows up in the igf in august 2011 he stayed in the igf exclusive for the next seven years uh he doesn't do any matches at all in 2016 weirdly but other than that he's like igf from like 2011 to 2018 uh he leaves to do a couple freelance shows with big japan and all japan in 2018 and then finally he started with noah in 2019 In the part-timer role, he does like eight matches a year. I think most people know and love by now. You better love it. He's awesome, Noah. (laughs) Uh, Fun fact, though, he also does three matches a year in 2019 and 2020, one so far this year for Real Japan Pro Wrestling. I had no idea until I looked it up on his cage match. Uh, He held something called the Real Japan Legends title for 455 days. Uh, He won it from Super Tiger September 29th, 2019. He made one defense against masaka Punagi uh December fifth, twenty nineteen, and then he lost it back to Super Tiger December seventeenth, twenty twenty. Is this like a senior tour? Yeah, that's like okay, a senior yeah, tour. Yeah, like yeah. Like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, Actually, no, 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 That's promising Masters. This is sort of like a senior tour, but it's also I mean like that belt specifically. Si- oh yeah, I guess so. This is a Sayama promotion that like oh. never never makes tape, always claims like sell out crowds of eighteen hundred at Corikin, uh which I'm sure are totally real. But yeah. Uh, I'm sure it's a totally legitimate business here, real Japan. <laughs> uh, but yes, so there's your Fujita and Shibata history.
2: So in in this period here, um, where is Shibata like in the hierarchy of things? I, honestly, the old b- before Shibata like leaves to do MMA. I know, like you know, I know the Noah stuff with Kenta, and very I, I've seen very. By the way, you Shibata sound
1: from... you sound a little quiet again. I don't know if you got further away from your mic or something.
2: Oh, did I fix it?
1: Okay, you sound better now.
2: Okay, sorry about that. I leaned back. <laughs> um, no, yeah, so with with um, with Shibata, like, uh, I, you know, I know the stuff, the tag team with Kenta and Noah right before he splits for MMA. Where does he sit, like, in the hierarchy of New Japan in So he was
1: pushed, like, he was briefly pushed as, like, one-third of a New Three Musketeers with Tanahashi and Nakamura. Right. So they clearly have big plans for him, but he was always kind of, like, the third-ranked guy of those three for sure. And, you know, he had, like, runs in the heel stables and Makai Club, and I think at this point he's in Black New Japan, I'm almost positive, which is, like, the Chono heel stable. Right. So I think the way they were presenting him, and I'm going based on memory here, so this could be wrong, but I think the way they were presenting him was as, like, like Chono's younger protégé, basically, like, the, the next, like, Black New Japan guy, you know, because Black as in, like, So Chono's whole thing was like, he he had NWO Japan Team Wolf. He had team 2000 and then he had black new Japan. And then eventually just black. Whereas like, he was always the, you know, on the heel side of the ledger, new Japan. They always had the, uh, you know, the heel stable. And like, he was kind of being presented as the, the Chono uh, disciple. And it was always a weird fit to me because it's like, obviously what Shibata became later when he came back to Japan, made way more sense for him. Like the straight ahead, I'm just a wrestler. I'm just gonna kick people's asses, guy. Yeah. And they wanted him to be like, you know, this new top heel guy, and never seemed to make sense to me, like why he was the new top heel guy. And I get it because they thought Nakamura and Tanahashi, like they thought Tanahashi was the new Muto, and they thought Nakamura was the new Hashimoto. That's basically right. how they tried to present sense. it. And yeah, and Nakamura was. Just, they end up sort of making Nakamura the heel guy instead, at the in the years that followed, where even before Chaos, he had. He joined Chono in black and then he had rise, which were kind of heelish, but not, I mean, they were more like, like a neutral unit, especially since GBH were the heels, but then obviously then he turns on them and uh, forms chaos with the other people, in GBH and 09. It's very much like, okay, he is the top heel. Uh, you know, he, he kind of would drift more and more away from that as time went on anyway. But that was kind of like, the, he made more sense in that role to me than Shibata. Shibata was like, you know, he, they, at this time, he's like still being groomed, I guess, for that spot, but it just, it never seemed to click to me. See, and that's funny so, too,
2: because this match in a vacuum, without any of that context, it just feels like a younger version of the same old Shibata. Like, this is, this, this yeah. match went exactly how I imagined it would go.
1: <laughs> yes. And it's like, he that's why to me, it never was going to work for him as like, like a new top heel guy. But yeah, the match, you know, they, they do like a lot of cool, like MMA mat wrestling, which if you're not into that, I could see not. I could see you thinking the early portion of this match is kind of boring, but I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, Shibata, there's this really cool counter where Fujita tries to get a choke back in the ring, but Shibata reverses it into like the sudden STO, but like in a really, really natural looking way. Yeah. So that was like a really cool counter. Uh, he goes like straight into a headlock from there, but and this match, by the way, is only like what 14 minutes. I think it's, it's really less. short.
2: I think the entire runtime oh. with the intros is like 1330.
1: Yeah. So maybe like 11 minutes. Uh, he goes like straight into a headlock, Fujita makes the ropes to break, but instead of letting go, Shibata just moves his arms down to his waist, bad refereeing, I have to say, I always say that, uh, <laughs> hits, a, hits a big German suplex, just fucking drops Fujita on his head, and Shibata gets right back to his headlock, uh, acts like he's going to go for a dragon suplex, Fujita breaks the grip, and Shibata e- hits an, immediately hits an even sicker German, this time really drops him right on his head, uh, reapplies the sleeper again. Such a sick sequence. And then he hits this running PK for a two count. Then just kicks Fujita right in the head again. Uh, you know, just keeps booting at him at that point. And, you know, he does do like... Fujita finally does... Fujita Fu, Fu gets pissed, basically. And just unloads on Shibata with these big overhead punches and knees. Uh, the only thing that sucks about this little sequence is his big kick to the end to the head at the end. Seems like it actually kind of missed. But they still sell it like Shibata's out, so whatever. You we, mean like we'll the very there. last one? Not the not the very last one to match it, The very last one this little Oh, sequence. that sequence,
2: right. Okay. Yeah. Uh,
1: but Shibata gets back up at 8. So Fujita hits this big spine buster and then hits a kick to the head again that sure as fuck did not yeah, miss. that's what I, I was
2: like. Uh, I was like, no, I'm pretty <laughs> sure it hit.
1: <laughs> yeah. All the, other, all the rest of them hit. Maybe he made <laughs> extra sure after that point. Uh, the fans do start chanting for Shibata as he stands back up. Uh, but he eats a straight punch from Fujita more super hard knees, kicks to the head on the mat. I mean, this dude is just fucking unloading on him. Uh, The referee backs Fujita off for another knockout tease, but uh, Shibata just won't stay down. And then Fujita hits another pair of knees. We get yet another knockout tease. The crowd chants for Shibata some more. And then this time, Fujita just doesn't want to wait for him to get up. Uh, He just fucking fucks him up with yet more knees and kicks. We get the 10-minute call. Fujita fucks Shibata up even more with another super hard kick to the skull. Uh, plays to the crowd and gets a mixed reaction, and Shibata stays down. That's the finish uh, for the ten count. Fujita wins by knockout. So I can, like I said, I can see some people not liking this if they don't like the anime style mat work or just can't stomach uh, Fujita's very physical offense. But I fucking love this match. This ruled. It was pretty much ruled just as far as I remembered. Uh, Fujita does take some hard kicks from Shibata too, and some very hard suplexes on his skull. So you can't say he doesn't take it, just like he dishes it out. Uh, but boys, he it the fuck out too. Yeah, that's for sure. We, uh, by okay. the time it's over, you really can't blame Shibata for staying for going down. Fujita looks like an absolute monster. Of course, the payoff for said monster's big loss was so bad it almost killed the company. But what can you do? Uh, this rolled four and a quarter stars.
2: You know, uh, in the very beginning, right before they go into the mat work, the very like the very first couple seconds where they're just decking each other in the face, and then Shibata hits that backdrop driver. Like, right at the beginning, I was, I'm not used to, I'm not used to watching Fujita get dropped on his head like that. And like you said, he gets dropped on his head twice more after that. Um, and also, you know, one detail I really liked about this is Shibata does sell everything Fujita does. Like, it's total death. Like, uh, Shibata- I don't, Labone, think have to,
1: I don't think you had to sell that much. Yeah, I know, I know. On,
2: honestly, I, I have, um, on the very last kick, like, the, the last one before the 10 count- I was like, that noise couldn't have come from boot on face contact, right? And I kept rewinding it, like, please, (laughs) like, please, (laughs) the noise has to be coming from somewhere else. (laughs) It's like the sickest thud, that last kick in the head. Um, But yeah, no, like you said, uh, Fujita gets dropped right on his neck like three times. That's sick. And honestly, his comebacks, like, like Shibata will go on these big runs, the one, like you said, with that, like, STO and the PK. He, like, does this great buildup, and then uh, I think that one ends with Fujita just kneeing him in the body once, and he just goes down. He does a great job making Fujita look like a total monster. Um, and then down the stretch, they're hitting these punches that just, like, shoot punches again. Uh, this was sick. And I didn't even think, like, there was, there was the grappling stretches, and, like, that's to be expected with these two. And I had really anticipated them being a lot longer than they were a lot. Like once this gets going, it is a snuff film. Uh, I'm probably in the same, like four, four and a quarter range. This is sick.
1: There you go. Uh, So people need to stop bad mouth of Vegeta. He he was awesome when he wanted to be awesome, (laughs) but he didn't want to be awesome. He put a sleeper hold on and laid on the mat. So, (laughs) All right. So match number three was your second pick. So, Oh boy. Uh, Chris hero, Necro butcher and super dragon. Versus Samoa Joe, Adam Pearce, and BJ Whitmer, uh, The ROH versus CW tag, April 22nd, 2006. Uh, from the 100th show in Philadelphia. So when you first picked this, you asked me if I was here. And I was like, ah, I think so. You just put it as the ROH versus CW tag. So I did not think of what the actual match was. And then I looked at the participants and saw Super Dragon's name. And I was like, oh yeah, of course I was there. This is the f- infamous Super Dragon tries to pull me over the barricade by my hair show. Uh, which I've told that story on here a million times. But I guess we'll tell it again. Uh, so during the course of this match, which is just this crazy brawl, uh, Super Dragon had kept. First of all, you can see me in the fr- in the front row if you look here. And I was honestly like, "Wow, I was skinny 20- 15 years ago." <laughs> You're like this is probably the absolute skinniest I was in my entire life. No one should ever have to
2: look at themselves on video fifteen years yeah. ago. It's not right.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I was like this. So I'm like, I'm, I'm. I'm like 19, I'm 19 years old here. And I'm looking at myself, uh, you know, with this, I have, first of all, my hair is dyed black instead of brown, which uh, I always like cringe when I see that from back in the day. I'm the skinniest I've ever been, which, you know, just made me be like, well, I got to lose some weight. Uh, (laughs) But yes. And, you know, I'm standing there in this like black and white striped shirt for some reason. Like, why am I wearing a collared shirt to ring of honor? I don't understand why why I did that uh like i must have had wrestler shirts like what did i think i was too cool for that at this point i don't really understand you were dressed to the Uh, nines for
2: that crowd yeah
1: (laughs) it was really you did you see me in the audience did you so there's
2: there's one show i think i messaged you about like back when i first watched it i've only ever spotted you very clearly once and you're fucking with jay lethal uh you're like getting jay lethal's face at a different show this one, I was going to ask, there's a part where people are blocking someone in the crowd. Is that when Super Dragon was fucking with you?
1: I think it might have been. Okay. So Samoa, Samoa Joe, what, the way you can see me on camera very clearly is Samoa Joe, especially if you know what Quinlan looks like. Because Quinlan, so I showed Nicole this uh, this match, you know, she just to show, see what I, you know, here's me on tape from 15 years ago, and she was like, holy shit, Quinlan looks exactly the same. <laughs> I do not mean that as an insult to Quinlan. I would It'd be great to look exactly the same as you look 15 years later. But he always gets like, he is a man in his mid 30s who always gets carded for everything. Like, I, he's gotten carded for like R rated movies before, where it's like you have to be 17 for that, obviously. And it's because he still looks exactly the same. He looks like he's, you know, fucking 19 years old. I mean, what a gift. You know,
0: I mean, it, what a gift. It is a, he,
1: acts, he acts like it's a fucking burden. I'm like, motherfucker, you're going to be uh, like, you look exactly the same.
0: Off again, that's arena club.com/slash VOW net, arena club.com/slash VOW net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of the Wrestling Podcast Network.
1: 15 years later, that's not a fucking burden, anyway. So, yes, Quentin looks exactly the same. So, if you know what Quentin looks like. Uh, you'll be able to spot me immediately because I'm next to Quinlan. But yes, I recognized Quinlan before I recognized me because I looked that different and Quinlan looks exactly the fucking same. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Samoa Joe walked right past us at one point. We we're in the front row, as, as I often was at uh, these Ring of Honor shows during this period. So, you know, the, Nicole was asking me, like, how did you get front row for every show? And I was like, well... You just had to be there at the last show, and they put them on sale. That's all it was to Because this is like before they went to Ticketmaster or anything, they would just you, you were at the last Philly show. They would say, "Our next Philly date is blah blah blah. Tickets on sale now at the uh, concession at the merchandise stand," and you went and bought the tickets. That's that's it. I mean, you know, it's not really that because people always used to be like, "How do people get these front row tickets?" It was like you just had to go to the last show. That's it. I mean, it wasn't like some really difficult thing um but anyway so we so so yeah so mojo walked right past us so you can that's when you can definitely see me at one point so the super dragon thing so super dragon was an asshole first of all at one point you can see him uh fighting with some other fans i think and almost like physically assaulted him the camera did catch that the camera did not catch my thing thankfully okay so that uh, part
2: you're talking about is the part that i was wondering was you because there's like two fans that are like it seems like they're blocking someone behind them who Super Dragon
1: did something know. to. Maybe that was me. I don't even know. But yeah, you can see two fans yelling yelling at Super Dragon. Anyway, it looks like he's almost going to come to blows with them. So maybe that was right after my thing. I don't know. So, Super Dragon was like... Obviously, the Ring of Honor had these hard barricades and they had these uh, these steel plates on them, right? That the fans always used to like slap, right? right? Uh, you know, the barricade slappers. So if these fucking barricades went into your legs, it was very painful. Now, it happened accidentally all the time, which is fine. You know, I, you understand it, but you try to get out of the way. Super Dragon was basically doing it on purpose. He was getting whipped into every barricade and he was making sure to hit the fucking things as hard as he could. Like, I watched him do this over and over and over again. And I've barely got out of the way once and then he got me the second time and it just fucking cracked into my leg. And I was really pissed. So he's laying there. And a 19-year-old John did something very stupid in retaliation. I picked up a water bottle. I opened the water bottle. And I poured it on Super Shark. <laughs> Which <laughs> was not my brightest moment. Uh, and he immediately gets up, he immediately stops selling. He stands up and he's like, who the fuck did that? And everybody gives me up immediately, of course. Because they're a bunch of wrestling fans. And that's what they do. Even though they're supposed to be on my side. And there's fake war. And he immediately just looks at me. I look at him. Like, I wasn't even, like, talking him or anything. I was just like, yeah, it was me. I'm like, what, what do you want me to say? He grabs me by the hair, and he starts pulling me over the barricade. Uh, it's very, very rough. <laughs> security runs over, separates us right away. So, really, the, probably the actual hair pulling was probably, like, maybe five seconds. And I'm fully expecting at this point to get kicked out. But the security guard looks at me, and looks at Super Dragon. The security guard, you have to remember, the security guard was the same at every show, basically. Yeah. And at this point, I've been going to front row. Basically, I, I'm too big to fail for Ring of Honor at this point. I've been spending money <laughs> on front row tickets for every show in the Northeast for, since like 2004 at this point, probably like mid-2004, and buying their DVDs and shit. So the guy looks at me, he's like, just back up over here, just, just back up over here for a while and, like, let him calm down, and that's it. So they just made me basically back off. And you can see me back in the front row for the end of the match. So at some point, I walked back over there, and nobody said anything. So, yes, they did not kick me out for pouring water on Super Dragon. And, in fact, Super Dragon ended up not getting booked again, uh, because apparently he was being physical with other fans other than just me. I love that you have
2: more pull than Super Dragon.
1: (laughs) The power you were throwing around at these fucking shows. (laughs) <laughs> they were like, well apparently Gabe hated him already, so I guess that was part of it too. But yeah, I I was like the I was the banks. So I was too big to fail for Ring of Honor, so I did not get thrown out. Maybe it was another wrestler who they already didn't have this problem with, you know, then then I would have been more of a thing. But yeah, Super Dragon trying to pull me over by my hair at, for which was a very justified reaction on his part for me pouring water on him. Uh somehow, yeah, I did not get thrown out for all. Yeah, that. and if I'm not mistaken, so, he's only into
2: more. He makes like one more. Yeah, I think he has like the fans, solo so. map, but I think they're like not in the Northeast. I think they're like in weird places. Yeah, Midwest.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it's like a they did with his his remaining shots, and they didn't come back. So yeah, but it, I mean the the rumor is he monkey flipped a fan, like a shoot monkey. Flip, that's what I wanted to bring
2: up. When I
1: people people seem to think that was me, and I, I was like, no, if if that happened, it definitely was not me. Because the story is it was after the show, and it's like. No, after the show, I fucking left. I didn't get any more <laughs> altercations with Super Dragon or any other wrestlers. So.
2: Shoot Monkey Flipping someone, that rules. I hope it happened. But also... Yeah.
1: Uh, I have no knowledge of that. that happened when you read like about me. this literally show, the show...
2: Oh, sorry. Literally,
1: the show was over. I was like... I am like, I, I was not one of these people that hung around the show. Like I was like, we have a long drive back from Philadelphia. Let's get the fuck out of here. So
2: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The uh, When you read about this show... Um, cause this show is, there's a bunch of wild shit happens on this show. When I, when I asked you about it, I actually was, when you did, when you were like, oh, I don't know if I was there. I was like, good, because I didn't think I wanted, I didn't think, I didn't want you to think I was specifically baiting you into telling the super dragon story again. Um, I, I did hate. have, I have a million questions about being in the room for this show because the show seems insane for a thousand reasons. Oh, so you weren't there? No, I wasn't there. To me, uh, ROH in 2006, I had a buddy who bought the DVDs. I watched them all with out of order with no context and then like i'd get high in a basement and watch this stuff so like I knew, I knew like i knew about ccw i knew like i knew all like the guys on the roster
1: i was at like the cw show where the where the show really started like the, or the ring of honor show the double header where like uh so we're sitting sitting in the front row all the CW guys hit the ring because i guess they're mad that the ring of honor show is going long or some shit when you know they did this double header and the CW guys start like tearing down the barricades and fucking tiny ass Sabian is standing right in front of me, tearing down my barricade. And you know, if people don't know me, I'm like almost six two. You can whoop so Sabian's a, ass,
2: John. <laughs> I have a lot of
1: hate on Sabian, but I was I, I was still not looking to get in a fight with Sabian. It was just kind of funny because Sabian was like looking right at me, like "Come on, motherfucker!" And I'm like, "You're really you're really short, man." I don't know. I'm like I wasn't really that intimidated by five four Sabian or who the fuck he is. It did look a little ridiculous, but uh, yes, he was the one who got right in my face. Which I was like, you probably should have like looked for one of the shorter fans and gotten in their face. And when <laughs> you looks- should have poured water on
2: Sabian. You could have handled that.
1: You have- <laughs> yeah. yeah. Super Dragon's like almost my height, I think. Or yeah, maybe Sabian maybe. couldn't reach yeah.
2: your hair. There you go. Sabian could not. <laughs> I'm like Sabian. I'm, cl- I'm way closer to Sabian's height than Super Dragon. I should stop talking shit.
1: Why how <laughs> how well, how tall are you? I'm like five six. Oh, there you go. You're my girlfriend, right?
2: So yeah, no. Sabian would kick the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah. Um, so yeah, when I brought it up, I I when, and I was like, okay, good. It doesn't seem like I'm just uh, baiting them into this match. But uh, the thing is, with that, with that, when you read about this show, every write up about this show has some version of the story of Super Dragon, like of them hearing Super Dragon beat someone up at the show. And I don't know if they're talking about, like, whatever happened with you or the the blown-up story about someone getting monkey-flipped after the show. But reading these, I've, I've always been like, is that the John thing they're all talking about?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's very, it's very acting like he beat me up. It, it's definitely not me because, like, he, like I said, had hold my hair for five seconds. Security pulled us away. And that was the end of it. I mean, yeah. we never, there was no other physical altercation. So, you know, he if he did if he did something else with fans after the show, I couldn't tell you. Like I said, I I left the moment of the show. I like to we... imagine
2: as soon as the cameras went off, Super Dragon just went out and beat the crap of everyone he could see. The yeah. uh, <laughs> the other thing too is like like I said, like when I was watching well, my awareness of ROH in two thousand six was like distant from like internet wrestling conversation. It was hanging out in like a buddy's basement, and then a few years later, when like I understand uh you know you go back and you watch all the big matches because I, I, I got back into like nerdy wrestling talk and you watch all like the big moments with a little more context but still not real context and more recently in the past couple of years i've watched every CCW and roh show from that year in order alternating between them and all like these things that are put that are like held as a As like the common opinion for like the peak moments of this feud in that year, in context, I think are all like wrong. Like, I think the first Danielson Nigel match is better than the unified one, and I think this is better than the Cage of Death match. I think this
1: is like the best match of the whole year. This match is amazing. So I will say, I when I was watching this back on tape, I don't know if it's because I was there. But it didn't hold up for me as much as I thought it would. Yeah. Because it's like, okay, you're like, it's just like so much camera cut, camera cut, camera cut. It's like Ring of Honor 2006 production to me has a really hard time keeping up with this. To the point where it does start to drag a little bit for me where it's like, okay, again get it. They're, they're crowd brawling. It's just like, maybe I've just become really, um, I don't know, like really, like crowd brawling has been really like overexposed to me over the past 15 years or something. But, I mean, I still thought it was great, but it didn't connect with me on, like, one of the best matches ever kind of level.
2: You but. know, like, they do the, like, a- as an actual, like, uh, like, the, the action, as the actual, like, wrestling goes, there's not, you know, much to, to toy with here. But the way so many moving parts, like, connect in this match, like, the way they know they have Joe and Necro to play on, like, the way they use Joe in this match, Joe's, like, out of the feud after this match. Joe's used as, like, a bait-and-switch twice after this. And in this match, they use Joe for everything. Hero is so willing to look stupid with Joe the whole match. Uh And then, like... Did the
1: Joe-Necro match happen yet, by the way, at this point?
2: So, the, the Joe-Necro 05 match happened. Okay. And then the 06 one is a bait-and-switch for Homicide-Necro, which is, like, my favorite match of all time. <laughs> um... And uh, and that's it. Like that's all. Joe Joe's Joe's only in the feud for the rest of it to be the bait and switch for Homicide Necro, and then he gets hurt and pulled out of the Cage of Death match. Um, yeah. And they use but he's him. on his way
1: to TNA too. Yeah, or he's already in TNA, but I mean, he was like on his way to not being a Ring of Honor guy really anymore, just being a TNA guy. Yeah,
2: he starts really taking it easy in Ring of Honor, like during yeah. essentially during this match, and like yeah. Whitmer is so down to he does so much dumb shit with Super Dragon in this match. They go back to CCW and he gets his head stomped in on a chair again by Super Dragon. They have like practically a death match. A few shows later, uh, this is the only
1: time Adam Pierce is cool, <laughs> like ever. <laughs> this match. They, do, 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 do this, by the way, start this video file starts off with the uh, Cornet Zandig uh, debate, which boy did that segment not hold up. No, like uh, like okay. Cornette's representing ROH. He just rambles about old school Philly wrestling forever. Zandig tells him to shut the fuck up. And despite the fact that he's apparently as big of a, a MAGA chud on the planet as there is right now, I still had to agree with him. Because it's like, buddy, just... Cornette really did need to shut the fuck up at that point. Then Cornette does kind of start, like, ethering him and making him look like an idiot because he's just way faster on his feet than Zandig is. Um... And, you know, the CZW fans and the bleachers. I, like, the CZW fans do a much better job during the match representing themselves. I, I, a CZW fan, have to tell me more. CZW fans didn't actually like Zandig, right? Well, I Because they, they, they did not react for him during this promo most of the time. At CZW like being, shows
2: that year, Zandig is still... He's, like, taking command of, like, storylines fall apart and just become Zandig coming out and taking them over. He gets huge reactions. He main events the actual Cage of Death show that year. Um, I was going to ask that too. Like, I was going to ask how, like, that CZW side of the room, like, were they actually was was it actually like almost an equal amount of CZW fans no. there? It
1: didn't seem. It was like, like it. they basically they basically had the bleacher. They had their own side of the bleachers, which did have a lot of fans, but like most of the fans on the floor were all Ring of Honor fans. So, like, you would see a few CW fans, but they're... So, like, basically, the the two bleachers maybe cancel each other out. I think there are probably still more Ring of Honor fans. But then the floor was all Ring of Honor fans almost. Like, very few CW fans on the floor. So, that basically... Even if there was the exact same amount in the bleachers, the floor would have tilted it to Ring of Honor. But, yeah, because I was like... During this segment especially, uh, the CW fans, have felt like, got really drowned out hard by the Ring of Honor fans. So, Xandy gets booed out of the building a lot of the time... The R. R. H. Chance easily overpower the brief your Chance, and it just adds to the feeling of Cornet like destroying Xandig here verbally. Uh, you know, Xandig does finally get a good point in when he points out the Smoky Mountain had plenty of hardcore shit too, and Cornette does finally get flustered at that point and has to resort to dropping homophobic slurs. Brutal, brutal. Uh,
2: won't even I won't even censor repeating them. I can't even yeah. pretend to almost repeat them.
1: <laughs> and then it devolves into the two of them yelling back and forth to the point where I can barely make out what they're saying, combined with the. You know the production with no, uh, you know, direct feed to the microphones or whatever the fuck. Yeah, you know what Zandig um, says that I
2: love though. Yeah. Uh, Cornette goes like, "I got a locker room full of guys who would never come work for you." And Zandig, he's like, goes,
1: "Oh, of them around, best of the best."
2: Well, first he goes, he goes, you know, uh, everyone in that lo- half that locker room came from CCW, and Cornette says, "Well, they would never go back." And he goes. They're all coming back next month, you stupid motherfucker! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For best of the best, yeah, yeah, That's
1: great. That was that was really good, but yeah, Zandig, uh, just, but yeah, by the end of it, like between the bad audio and all the crosstalk, it's almost unwatchable. Uh, and then Zandig finally calls out the CW boys to the ring to thankfully bring them into it, in to it uh, before Samoa Joe's music hits to bring their team out. Uh, so yeah, just like you know, just a total wild brawl all over ringside. I just think it doesn't hold up as well for. You know, there's there's parts of it that drag to me, watching sure. it back. I think it worked better in the building, for sure. Uh, so Super Dragon, you know, the, the, the big, big spot. Super Dragon gives Whitmer a psycho driver through a table, off the apron. That was a ridiculous bump, obviously. Uh, Zandig, after that, shows up in the ring. Joe goes right after him. but hero cuts him off, so Zandig can throw some truly horrible punches. Uh, Bryce and the, the what was it, Todd something? Todd the Sinclair. Other room on the Todd Sinclair, thank you. The Bryce and Todd Sinclair get into an argument about the, the legality of this. So Bryce Rendsburg is there as a, C, as a CW ref, obviously the same guy in AEW now. And he's wearing this horrible looking black and yellow striped ref shirt. And, you know, Bryce is yelling about there being no DQs in CZW. I don't know what Todd's yelling. can't really hear it. And then Butcher just finally decks Todd Sinclair in the back of the head with a punch, which is really funny. Uh, Kiro has Joe in a cravat. Zandig is like flipping off the crowd. But out comes Claudio. So this whole time, obviously, people knew Claudio was Hero's partner uh, in Chikara and CGW As And, uh, you know, so the the question was like, oh, what side is Claudio going to be on? And I guess at some point before the show, he had said he was with with uh, Ring of Honor, right? Yeah, dur- like he, uh, front-
2: during the show, he's with Ring of Honor. And Hero, like, yeah. talks shit on him. He does the, the promo in the crowd where he walks from the ROH side and brings the camera to the CCW side. And yeah. it's like building up that Claudio's an ROH guy.
1: And then, so Claudio comes out with this big ROH embroidered shoot, uh, suit jacket. Now, he also has a yellow shirt under there that you can see. Yeah. So Joe should have noticed that, I guess. <laughs> it's like very yellow. Uh, but yeah, so basically Joe holds Hero for Claudio to bounce off the ropes, and indeed uh, Claudio blasts Joe with a European uppercut the moment Joe runs in uh and that's it so he and hero hug uh pierce tries to make the save the RH fans chant for homicide who's still a heel at this point he wouldn't make this big face turn for ring of honor for a little while longer uh and then hero and claudio give pierce some wacky double team move and hero pins him with a win it, it was an awesome and ballsy move for gabe to book this that way i will say we're gonna fans definitely were not happy I remember being in the building, being like, oh, these fuckers. And having really?
2: the CZW side <laughs> to escape through is such a cool closing image, and Joe's staring at them. Like, all these yeah. pieces just fit perfectly into place for that finish.
1: And the, the CZW guys all lead to the crowd. Joe in the ring. He's in the ring with an incredibly bloody Adam Pearce. And Joe tells him to hit CZW's music, which fucking sucks, by the way. <laughs> the theme song. It's oh, like, yeah. we're trying to rip out the ECW 90s theme song, but make it as shitty as possible. Which the ECW theme song already sucks, but this is even worse. That's yeah, not cool. Uh, but yes, yeah, so Joe <laughs> says, hit CW's music because it's the last time you ever hear it again, which is a great line. Uh, but there you go. You know, it doesn't have the same feeling for me as being there live 15 years later. Uh, I totally get why some of the fans in the building started chanting Match of the Year at the end. That's also a very dorky thing to do, by the way, because you're supposed to be mad as a Ring of Honor fan that CW won. You're not supposed to be fucking chanting Match of the Year, you fucking dorks. But anyway, uh, watching it back now, I don't see how you can go. I It was like, I, I love four stars. You know, it's awesome. It still comes across as an awesome brawl. And there's some incredibly sick and bloody spots. But, like, it also kind of drags. Just watching them constantly cut between cameras. And it's hard to tell what's going on sometimes. Like, to me, it's the ultimate example of a you-had-to-be-there match. You know, but it was a fun trip down from lane. I definitely get
2: that. Because I definitely am not, I'm normally not into, you know, big crowd brawls. This match, they recreate this match on, like, three other shows after, and it's a nightmare to watch uh, after after this one. But this one, like, part of it, too, is the crowd is, like, nuts the whole time. And it's, like, to me, that it was so engaging watching all the reactions. Like, the at one point, like, Joe's walking through the crowd, and you hear one guy get close to him and yell, find Super Dragon. Find Super Dragon and kill him now. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, like, that, and, like, the way, like... Uh, also, Super Dragon. Like, I imagine if Super Dragon pulled my hair, I'd be like, "That guy sucks and he's an asshole." But as someone just watching, oh, no, no, I think, oh,
1: <laughs> I think Super Dragon fucking. No, no you know, I, I that, you called him an asshole. I, I said that he he is an asshole. Totally. But I think I think he's fucking. He's an awesome fucking wrestler. I mean, I've never I've never come on this show and buried Super Dragon as a wrestler because just because he pulled my hair one time 15 years ago. I mean, he's a he's a great fucking wrestler. Oh yeah, well, so. I was about
2: to call. I yeah. just wanted to. To soften it in case there wasn't a uh, bad blood, because I was about to say, no, no, "Dude no. is the star." I mean, look, of this I fucking
1: match. poured I, I poured water on the fucker's head. What was he supposed to do? I mean, he shouldn't have been fucking. I mean, look, he was trying to provoke a response. Dumb shit. Nineteen year old John gave him a response, <laughs> and then he tried to and then he tried to pull me over by my hair. I mean, it's, it is what it
2: is. I just and, and I love how every time, like, crowds actually mad at him. If that wasn't the thing that happened with you in the corner, then someone else is super mad at him. And then he just gets in the ring. He's got this like deceptively big belly and he's just like holding it out and flipping off the crowd. And he psycho drivers Whitmer through that table. He takes the exploder on the chair. Like I've never seen a guy give so few fucks for a half hour straight as Super Dragon in this match. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 it was so like the crowd being like molten hot, the way it comes off the rest of the show, these CCW guys being like, Eventually, they're just on every show, and it's not as fun to watch them. So, in the context of watching this in the order of all the other shows, like it's so cool. It's yeah, like this
1: is the it's a peak, right? It's,
2: this is really to me. This is the peak. And even by the time Cage of Death happens, like if you watch, the,
1: I remember being, I remember being sick of it by the time Cage of Death happens. And even just watching them
2: all in order, if you watch the CZW shows that are happening at the same time, CZW like disowns the feud. They uh they go like at one point on commentary at this sh- at whatever show happened at about the same time as the cage of death match they go yeah roh says they're fighting with us but they have nate webb nate webb hasn't worked here in a year and a half like they say that on commentary because um, nate webb's in the ccw team uh on the ccw cage of death match but uh on the roh ccw cage of death match but on this one like it's all peak it's like the first time uh like necro butchers doing like the shoot punches to somebody in a in an roh ring uh, I love it. I don't know if I can like call it a five star match because it's there are parts that like aren't that fun to watch. It goes on for a half hour, but it's shockingly engaging to me for like that whole half hour. I'd go at least like four and a half something on it. Even rewatching it now, knowing everything that happens, I was like, oh, still rules.
1: <laughs> so, who's on the CW team in that Cage of Death match? It's like Nate Webb, Necro Butcher. I think Eddie, Eddie Kingston's Cordo, in it. Um,
2: Eddie and Kingston. He's not in the rest of the feud either. He shows up for Cage of Death. Yeah. Um, Hero Claudio. Is that everybody? How many?
1: That might be everybody because I think it's five, right? Maybe there's another one. No, yeah, it's, maybe it's, it's
2: five. Did we say five? That's Hero
1: Claudio, Necro, Webb, and Kingston. Kingston, yeah, that's the five. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, so that was cool to relive, I guess, but let us move on to match number four, which was my second pick Hiroshi Tanahashi against Hiroki Goto. Uh, from New Japan, May 3rd, 2009. I just kind of wanted to read the days when it was still theoretically possible to think Hiroki Goto could win the IWGP heavyweight title. And we were also kind of just talking about this period, this time period on the uh, Tanahashi Naito One Man series, which again, patreon.com slash wrestling only $5. Want to hear lots of stuff. I mean, I did a lot of stuff about, uh, you know, this period of New Japan. But yeah, this was Goto's third shot at the IWGP title in his career. Uh, He lost to Tanahashi on November seventeenth, two 2007 at Sumo Hall. He lost to Keiji Mudo in All Japan on August thirty first, 2008, again at Sumo Hall. That was after his Shock G1 win. Uh, And then he was like, I want to take my title shot as fast as possible. I'll go to All Japan to face Mudo because Mudo was champion while still being in charge of All Japan at the time. And he lost, of course. That I remember being like, everybody being like, what the fuck? He wins the G1, and he goes to All Japan to try to be the conquering hero to get the belt back, and he just loses. Wait, that happens. Like what the fuck that was, happens
2: during the the Mudo title reign where he drops it to Tanahashi? Yeah. Oh, I
1: didn't even know that match
2: happened. <laughs>
1: yeah, that was in All Japan because like, it was in all Japan. all Japan, right? Yeah, yeah, it's in All Japan. Uh, but yeah, so here's his third shot now against Tanahashi after Tanahashi won the belt from Mudo at Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, so this is at Wrestling Dontaku. Following Goto's first New Japan Cup win, uh, he beat Giant Bernard in the finals. He would, of course, go on to lose this title shot. He won the New Japan Cup two more times, the following year in 2010, where he beat Makabe in the finals. Then he loses his title shot at Cork and Hall to Shinsuke Nakamura. That's a match we covered in this series before, actually, on the uh, the five-matches episode last year with Joel from the Super Jcast. That match owns. That match is awesome. Uh, and then he lo- beats Tanahashi in the 2012 finals, before he loses his first ever title shot against Okada. His first ever shot, uh, match, title match against Okada, I should say. Uh, and yes, overall, Goto has eight title challengers, besides the ones I, just, ones I just mentioned. He also lost to Tanahashi at Dominion 2011. Uh, he lost to Okada two more times, uh, new beginning in February 2014 and 2016. And as of today, he has never received another IWGP title shot again after he lost that match to Okada in 2016 and then joined Chaos a month later. Uh, following his New Japan Cup final loss to NATO. Still one of the dumbest storylines in wrestling history. Uh, I've buried it on so many different pieces of audio. It's just so terrible. Uh, Tanahashi, meanwhile, he's in the middle of his third reign as champion here. Uh, as mentioned, he beat Muto to win the belt in the Wrestle Kingdom 3 main event uh, in January 4th, 2009. He defended against Nakamura on February 15th. He beat Kurt Angle April 5th. Both of those were at uh, Sumo Hall. Uh, I don't remember the angle match at all. I remember angle Nakamura very well, but I don't remember an angle, angle Tanahashi. Yeah,
2: I've seen, I, uh, I looked up this defense and I was trying to see if I would seen the other matches in it. I was trying to figure out which Tanahashi Goto match this was. Um, and mm-hmm. I'd seen all the, I didn't, I'd never seen that angle match. Apparently it was good.
1: Yeah, i never seen it. I, I actually, no, I, I probably did see it at the time, but I don't, I don't remember it. It's definitely been a long time. Uh, so this is his third defense uh he beats goto here then he finally loses the belt to manabu nakanishi only three days later uh at corican hall and that's nakanishi's of course his big gold watch reign his one and only title reign uh nakanishi loses the belt right back to tanahashi a month later at dominion uh tanahashi would only get one defense this time uh against noah's takashi sugera before he suffered an eye injury at the hands of nakamura in the g1 which forced him to vacate the title uh, after vacating it, though, it took him a long time to finally win it back, so he gets a title shot against the next champion, who is Nakamura uh, November 8, 2009 he loses there and then he finally wins it back from Satoshi Kojima uh, January fourth, two 2011 at Wrestle Kingdom 5 and that's the famous Tanahashi Tana title reign where he breaks Yuji Nagata's defense record for most defenses in one reign, he finally loses, loses the belt to Okada in the Rainmaker Shock February 2012, so that's the January 2011 to February 2012 rain. So there you go. And of course, Okada would go on to break Tanahashi's defense record, and now the records are all wiped out. So I guess the, <laughs> I guess the defense record is now all of this was imaginary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, defense record right now, the World of red title is one for Will, will Osprey. Uh, there you go. So we start here with Go to. Auto- Have you ever seen this match by the way before? I guess boy. so.
2: I, uh, I I I actually I open so everything. In in the circle of Nakamura, Tanahashi, and Goto, like before the Tanahashi 2011 run, kind of all blends together for me. And I actually had to open Grapple to see if I'd ever watched this, and I had, <laughs> but I didn't. I didn't yeah. remember it. I was gonna say this match is like right in a period where like watching Tanahashi in this era, um, and I would say like until like maybe partway through the 2011 run feels like putting on like. An episode of an old, comfortable sitcom you like, like they all, they mm-hmm. all kind of blur. It's a model. It's a great model. I love—I love all these matches, but like, you know, I'm just like, oh, this, and I'm—I'm I'm like calling what the next thing is going to be, but I don't know if that means I remember the match or if I'm just like, that's what Big Tanahashi mm-hmm. matches were like in 2009, 2010. Um, right. But
1: yeah, I, I will I say it's always so weird to see him in black instead of white now. Yeah, <laughs> but so you to him in the white, but uh they don't, so i've noticed from the from the tanahashi naito matches and these in this match and this around this period i mean like new japan crowds at the time were not entrance pop crowds i mean later on they would become big entrance pop crowds but yeah even when they get hot during the actual matches they really did not make big entrance pop for anybody at this period in this period it was really interesting
2: yeah and uh yeah. and i also feel like um well like you said like when when Tanahashi, like moves to the white and gets a little more like flamboyant I think that contributes to being like an like stuff like that contributes to being like an, an entrance pop crowd but it's funny though because the way the entrances are filmed like back then I've recently like gone back and tried to watch as much stuff from like this period that I hadn't seen before and like entrances are so much cooler still like um uh, like the, there's like one venue where like they shoot the camera down the aisle whenever they're at that venue, but I can't remember what it was. But I don't know. The point is, uh, yeah, I agree with you. Is what I'm saying in a very in a very I think, that's long... Sumo. I, think
1: I think you're talking about Sumo. Yeah, actually,
2: you know what show they do that at is the show with the five minute Nito. Ta- yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're
1: talking about Sumo. Yeah, like that's so
2: cool. It doesn't really cont- the crowd can't see that, but
1: <laughs> the entrances
2: yeah. are so cool back then.
1: Um, so they, they start here at like some very basic mat wrestling stuff. Uh, it goes pretty much the first five minutes and Goto is like struggling to get an armbar on Tanahashi at the five minute call. Not the most exciting stuff, but it's all, it all looks good. You know, it's all crisp. Uh, we get our first rope assisted dragon screw from Tanahashi. He catches Goto on the apron and just drives his leg into the ropes hard. Uh, Tanahashi then absolutely crushes Goto with a tope hilo. From the apron of the floor. I mean he fucking lands hard on him. And he's still selling his arm. From Goto's earlier arm work. Uh, you know so that. As he comes back up. So that was a nice touch. Um, back in the ring later on. Goto gets like this nice. Diving elbow drop off the top on Tanahashi. It, it's weird watching the match. Tanahashi's wrestling style. In this match is very similar to wrestling style nowadays. There are differences. And obviously he could do a little more back then. But like the general gist of it, you know, dragon screws, clover leaf, high fly flow, German suit even he had the capture German at this point, which I, I didn't realize he had this early. Like all the signature moves are kind of the same. goto wrestles nothing, nothing like, like. nothing. Like, like, like zero. He does when's the last time you remember Hiroki goto doing a fucking top rope elbow drop. Well That's actually a nice elbow no, drop. I
2: was gonna say he still does that. Um you know okay. I know why I, I know. love Godo's elbow drop because it's the most non-athletic he does it the same way <laughs> Kojima does it, and they both it, yeah. it's like lunch pail. I'm, I don't give a shit. I'm just trying to hurt this guy. Elbow drop. I love his elbow drop. He does it a lot more back then. He, you know, I think, he only does it in big matches now. Yeah,
1: and like he he doesn't have the GTR yeah. yet. He doesn't have a ton of stuff. He just got the Shoten Kai, I think, which he barely even uses anymore. And yeah, he doesn't have all the GTRs. He doesn't do as much in many lariats. Like he really is not in like the hard hat you know hard hat lunch pail ishii style yet like i think most people would associate with him now he's much more like i don't know like he's getting there but he's also much more like he does more mat work he does a lot of arm bars in this match like the the, the promotion style was also changing too which i'm assuming is a big part of it but yeah he's still doing a lot more like grappling and technical wrestling here than you ever see him do now yeah and he's
2: like Um, he's it's he's very like flashy and aggressive with it too like like when he does- yeah,
1: well he was still, so so Milano and Taichi on the outside, he was still in that Rise unit, even though Shinsuke and Nakamura had left a month earlier, and they were like, they were not, he- I talked about this earlier with Nakamura, they were not heels exactly, but they were definitely like, at least tweeners, yes. whereas like, that group is going to break up, since Nakamura left them a month earlier to form Chaos, that group is basically going to like, slowly break up, and Goto will be a, a Hantai guy, you know, pretty much until he joins Chaos, when Chaos is already babyface anyway. So, you know, he's basically just a a total babyface for the rest of his career at this point. But this is like the last vestiges of like, you know, Godot sort of being on the side of like Black and Rise and all that. And he was in CTU even when he was still a junior. So, I mean, he definitely grew up on the heel side of things, which seems weird now when, you know, he's been a babyface for so long. And he's so
2: just like vanilla now. And for years now, he's like, like, here, like even the moveset he's using here, like, at least he comes off, like, a big aggressive goon here. Like, he comes off, like, a mean goon, where I feel like, in more recent years, Godot's character is competent pro-wrestler. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still love Godot. Yeah, yeah I still I mean, think is good, but there's yeah. just, like, there's nothing to attach to.
1: It's true. I mean, he just kind of, at this point, his character's, like, veteran, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so nice diving elbow drop. They do some running around and, like, ducking each other. Godo hits this weirdly light lariat, which, you know, like I said, he doesn't do a lot of lariats in this match, but here he hits, like, a weirdly light one, but it kind of works. So he hits this weirdly light lariat to the back of Tanahashi's head, but Tana barely sells it, and then counters with the Sling Blade uh, when Godo bounces off the ropes in front of him for, like, a real lariat. So, you know, uh, oh god, Tampa just scored, like, a minute left in the game. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like five, it's like 4 4 tie and Tampa just fucking score the minute 14 left in regulation. Fuck off. Anyway, I'm like, both my teams I put these f- fucking bets on are going to be oh, down one. Your one dad's going to be devastated. Way to bet on it, uh, But yes, so anyway, uh, unless there's a miracle here in this minute 14 seconds. Uh, so yeah, so Tanahashi, uh, they really did fluster me. Yeah, so he comes bounce off the ropes, and you know he counters that sling blade. when Godo bounces off the ropes in front of him. Uh, Tana starts giving him these grounded dragon screws. Uh, as we get the fifteen minute call, I am amazed this match is only half over because, like, the amount of action they put in, um, you know, a- after the first five minutes when they w- was pretty like maybe a little dull, the next ten were pretty exciting, and it's like, wow, there's still another half a match here, and it's not. You know, it's not one of those thirty-minute or thirty-plus New Japan main events from nowadays, where virtually nothing happens for the first fifteen minutes. It's not like that at all here. Uh, and Tanahashi gets it; just paced way better to me than some of these New Japan matches are nowadays. Uh, Tanahashi gets the Texas Cloverleaf on Goto, but Goto crawls to the ropes fairly quickly to break. Uh, we get this hard slap battle. Both guys just skating there and trading, and then Goto finally gets a straight right hand to win that exchange. Uh, You get some light boos in the process. Japanese fans do not like when you use a closed fist Mm -hmm. punch. Uh, He shoves the rough aside, hits another punch, uh, but then he sets Tanahashi up on the top rope in the inverted position and gives him a big neck breaker off of there. It's another former Goto signature move that he only does very rarely nowadays. Uh, He doesn't go for a cover off of that, though, which is kind of weird. And he finally hits another elbow drop off the top, uh, this one to the back of Tanahashi's head, and covers for a two count. Uh, he sets Tanahashi up in the front suplex position, looking for the Kai. Uh Tana keeps blocking, so Godo, like ducks a lariat from Tana and drops him right on his fucking neck with this sick-looking backdrop suplex. Tanahashi no-sells, pops right back up, so Godo gives him a second backdrop. Uh, it was not nearly as rough as a landing for Tanahashi on that one, just before the 20-minute call. Uh, Godo picks Tana up, tries again for the show 10 Tana counters in midair with what I guess is supposed to be a sling blade really just yeah. like, the, looks like the two of them falling down together. Not the greatest midair sling blade counter, uh, we've ever seen in Tanahashi. I was pretending,
2: sling. uh, Godo was selling the leg. <laughs> he,
1: yeah. he, he was not. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then, uh, Tana gives him a standard sling blade. He goes to the high fly float of the front. Goto gets his knees up as an aside if Tanahashi ever goes straight for the high fly float at the front without hitting either the cross body or the one of the back first, that's almost always the result. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Uh, hits a gut buster from a fireman's carry position, finally gets the Shotenkai. Kai. Only called the Shoten by the announcer, but it's definitely the Kai because Godo drops through yeah, his knees. So. Yeah. Uh, Milano uh, at ringside thinks that's it, basically. He thinks Godo's just won the IWGP title. It's like, oh, you poor bastard. Uh, Goto kicks by, out. By, I mean, Tanahashi kicks out. By this out of point, course. the Shoten
2: Kai was like his established finisher, right? Yes,
0: that
2: was like, yes. th- I mean, I I don't know. Obviously, I know I knew who won this match, but I thought that was like the worst near fall on a finisher. Like, no one in the world was buying that. Where, like, where it happened? Well, the well, the well, clutch, yeah, well, it, Milano almost convinced <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but yeah, uh Goto hits a lariat, gets another close two count. And then Tanahashi comes back with a standing Rana out of nowhere for very close, very cool near fall. Did a great job making it look, look like it could end with that uh, sudden flash pen. And then Goto tries to answer with a flying armbar out of nowhere. That was, that was awesome. He obviously yeah, didn't. I've, that never, I've never
2: seen Goto do that. That ruled. I have that like written down with all these exclamation points. I was that woke me yeah. up. That was great.
1: And then Tanahashi counters as soon as they hit the mat with a cradle for yet another near fall. He goes for the clover leaf again. Goto counters into an armbar. Really pulls back on that fucking arm. Uh, Tanahashi makes rope just for the 25 minute call. This is where I noticed Tai Chi on the outside, right? And Milano, Tai Chi's Milano's partner at this point. And I looked it up and like, oh, Tai Chi was in Rise, right? And according to Wikipedia and uh Cage Match, Tai Chi was not in Rise. Apparently, Milano was teaming with him, but he was not in Rise. So he was the Bret Hart, uh, of, of the uh, to what Bret Hart was to NWO Hollywood, that was Tai Chi to rise. Oh, I where, see. Like, that makes sense. He was <laughs> va- vaguely associated with them without, never put on the t shirt. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> uh, but yes, Tanahashi makes the ropes just for the 25 minute call. Might be the first time in podcast history anyone's compared Tai Chi to Bret Hart
2: for any reason. we got to make so. it a real thing. I'll compare Bret Hart to Tai <laughs> Chi in the next match. We'll make
1: it. <laughs> uh, there you go. Uh, yeah, so the Panthers did lose. By the way, they, they did not. They almost tied it with like three seconds left. Uh, but yeah, that was a, that was like a crazy game from what I could see. Uh, well, I that's probably going to put games. a damper three, on the rest of this pod. That's <laughs> thirty nine shots, thirty nine shots for each team, just crazy. But yes, game two is on Tuesday, so hopefully they can, uh, Florida can win game two. But I have to wait and say. Uh I mean, I did not. Th- I picked the Panthers, not thinking it was, they were going to sweep the Lightning or anything. I mean, you know. Right. If a I loss is a loss.
2: They weren't going to sweep. You're fine.
1: Yeah. Uh, what the hell is going on outside? Okay. Anyway. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you I can hear that. I definitely one. can hear that one. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, what the fuck? Uh, anyway, so Goto... Uh, Tana makes the ropes on the arm bar just for the 25-minute call. Goto starts like teeing off on Tanahashi with kicks to the chest as he's kneeling on the mat. For, like Some pretty hard ones, too, actually. And you know Tanahashi nearly gets another flash pin with an inside cradle, uh, and then hits his capture German for like another two point nine count. And then Goto tries to come back with lariats. Tanahashi hits a drop kick to Goto's leg, followed by a dragon suplex hold for yet another super close near fall. He then goes up top and hits the high fly photo the legs, which Goto sells like absolute death and locks in the cloverleaf again. And Goto. You know, with his bloody mouth struggling to make the ropes uh, is a great visual. Uh, and I thought this was going to be the finish, honestly. And I was like, what the fuck? to made the ropes. Yeah. <laughs> really... Goto gets up bleeding. Really?
2: It's a great, great killer image when he gets back up after the clover leaf in his mouth. Like, I don't even yeah. know what got him, but it sure got him.
1: <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, T- Tanahashi hits yet yeah, another dragon screw, then another sling blade and covers. Uh, Goto kicks out of one. Tanahashi then hits an inverted sling blade, then the high fly flow to the back, and finally the high fly flow to the front, and that is the pin. Uh, you can see how they really tried to protect Goto uh, as he came up short for the third time here. It just really took everything in the kitchen sink for Tanahashi to finally beat him. So there's still during the period where you watch this match, you're like, yeah, Goto could be a future champion, <laughs> but it uh, uh, didn't work out for him. <laughs> uh, this was an awesome fucking match, though. Better pace than a lot of modern New Japan stuff. You know, especially the longer matches. Without that super lengthy, nothing happens, 15 minutes. You know, the first five had some of that. But, like, after that, pretty much all action up until the end. And there were so many near falls you could have bought either guy winning on if you are watching this in real time. I went four and a half on this. I just went back and forth on four and a quarter and four and a half. But I really loved this. So, I enjoyed watching it for the first time in a long time. Yeah,
2: you know, the four on these Tanahashi matches is pretty high... And part of it is because that, like, set of moves, like, the legwork that's built into all these matches from this period uh, is just, like, so cool and it's so easy to invest in. And as long as he's got a good opponent who'll, like, work with him on that stuff, it's great. And then you just, you know... In in this match, uh, the problem is I've watched so many... It's just timing for me. I've watched so many Tanahashi matches recently. And Tanahashi matches back then, if he's got, like... You know, an opponent that's not some kind of weird outlier like uh, like Giant Bernard or something. They're all kind of similar, except for a couple where he pops out of the box. And I've just seen so many lately that I felt like, like I said earlier, I was calling the next move as it happened. But when Goto takes over on offense toward the end, uh, it's sick. I have, um, I have in my notes here that once he gets the knees up on the high fly flow, the rest of the match is just like fireworks and it's great. And, you know, like you're saying, like back then, Goto seems like such a badass uh, and it's so easy to buy into him winning in a big spot. But, you know, it's just as tragic listening to you list all like the tournaments he's won for nothing, you know, like, uh, yeah, all the uh, the New Japan Cup and then that one G1 Um uh, I don't know, and it makes it even tough sometimes to go back and watch old Goto. And also, when I began this match, I was... Pr- I, I, like I said, I confused a lot of matches from this period. And there's one match from this period between Goto and Tanahashi that, as this was going, I was like, please be that match. Please be that match. There's this one match where Goto just drops Tanahashi like on his neck like eight times down the stretch, like over and over. And I was going through cage match trying to figure out what year it was. And it wasn't this one. And I guess all I'm really getting out of saying this is... I wish this was that match. That match kicks ass. <laughs> this, this match is like a four for me. I might have gone higher if I hadn't watched so much old Tanahashi recently. But it just it, 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 it's not a bad thing because by the book, Tanahashi is still better than like almost everything else. And uh, I often say that like Tanahashi is like one of the last wrestlers that still feels like magical to me uh like even if you look at like current day new japan all the other big names part of their personas are being like nonchalant about everything and tanahashi's the opposite he feels like he's like of a different time to me still and that applies he's a little like toned down in 2009 but it still applies here he feels he feels so big to me um and it's cool seeing that 12 years ago that still felt like the case but i'm at like a four on it a, a, a good four <laughs>
1: Okay. Uh, so there you go. We got one match to go. See if we can go through, through this fast, because not that this episode is super, super long, but I feel like I've been sitting here forever between the, <laughs> the technical difficulties. So the last match was your pick for the fan vote, Bret Hart against Jean-Pierre Lafitte, right? Jean-Pierre Lafitte. WWF, September 24th, ninety five. This is the infamous Pirate Steals-Bret Hart's Jacket match. Uh, I won the fan vote over my counter pick of uh, Brett versus Piper from WrestleMania 8. You were like, did you pick that as a coincidence? I'm like, no. I always do that fan vote one." I'm just like, let me just pick another heart match. I don't know. Uh, maybe people actually remember this was Brett versus PCO. In fact, I honestly did not until I started watching it. I was like, oh yeah, that's PCO.
2: Yeah.
1: I totally did yeah that's, not I, that's,
2: that's part of why I picked it, yeah.
1: Uh, the poor pirate, though. He doesn't even get a fucking entrance. They cut right from... Right from an HPK and Diesel promo. This is from In Your House 3, by the way. Uh, they cut right from an HPK Diesel promo because they're in the main event against... Uh, God, it's supposed to be Bulldog and Owen ends up being what? Bulldog and... Uh... Yokozuna. Oh, and so it's supposed to be Owen and Yokozuna it ends up being Bulldog and Yokozuna. Oh, that's right. Um, and then And then Owen runs and in and gets pinned. Yeah. And they're like, no, that's not official, so you're not the tag champion. Oh, that's right. He gets pinned, right. Yeah, because it was for the tag titles and, and Diesel's every title and Sean's Intercontinental title. Where, if they had pinned either one of them, they could have won either of those titles. Just another so way started... for Sean
2: to lose a belt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But,
1: be but no, he didn't lose. Well, the Intercontinental title was going to vacate the following month. He lost following the... The, the gang of uh, the Syracuse gang. Right. Yeah, that was the following month. But he lost but the uh... tag
2: titles here, right? Or did the other. Well, they...
1: no, no, no. no. So, Owen and Yoko are the tag champions. Sean was Intercontinental. Diesel was WWF champion. And it was either. They basically built it up as guaranteed title change. If Diesel and Sean win, they win the tag titles. If Owen and Yokozuna win, whoever they pin, they'll either win the Intercontinental or they'll win the WF title. So they'll, they'll, they can only win one of them. Uh, and theoretically, you would want your partner to get the pin because you wouldn't win anything. But they, I guess in, I don't think they came into play in the actual match. But yeah, then Owen pulls out and they put Bulldog in. And then Owen runs out at the end of the match. And Diesel power bombs Owen and pins him. So the next night, they're like, well, Owen wasn't in the actual match by that point. It was Bulldog. So, uh, Sean and Diesel are not the tag champions. And the belts get vacated. I think they end up on the smoking guns. So, Thrill. yeehaw.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> F- 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 this was actually the... I, I didn't realize... People, people
1: wanting to... I've always sucked. The answer is yes. And this is the semi-main, and
2: PCO still gets a jobber entrance.
1: Yes! <laughs> he So, he comes out while Sean and Diesel are doing a promo. He, we, we cut to him already in the ring. And then we cut away from him in the ring to... Show him like stealing Brett's glasses from a kid. You know how Brown always give the, the the sunglasses at right. ringside, and then he steals the actual jacket on Superstars. First of all, why the they were still shooting angles on Superstars? I guess in September '95, it's like Raw existed already. Yeah, it's like why are you cutting angles on Superstars on your syndicated program? And I don't think this stuff cutting...
2: like even came up on Raw. I don't remember. Yeah, like, I, I watched those Raws, and I don't think. I think they. I think like once the I think maybe it came up quickly in a promo. Like they weren't. I don't think PCO was like playing around with the jacket on Raw. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's really weird. Uh, but yeah, so Brett uh, Brett dives through the, the oh, oh, so Brett does a great promo before the a great Brett. We gotta, promo, gotta talk about promo. we gotta talk about the Brett promo. It's so yeah, good. So, so Brett, he's like he says, if Pierre Lafitte fancies himself a pirate, the Brett Hart is gonna make him walk the plank, dude.
2: <laughs> At, in this period, Brett always gives like a, a promo right before he walks out, and they all have one line that you know Brett is like so proud of, and this is this is that, that <laughs> shitty plank line. But my favorite part of this, he says like he says something about like PCO being Captain Crook, and he's Captain Crunch. Oh yeah, yeah. But then, <laughs> but then right after that, he goes, "Listen, Pierre, a jacket," and then he thinks about it for a minute, and he goes, "Is a
1: is a jacket, I guess, but it means a lot <laughs> to me." <laughs> Yeah, Brett Brett gives that line like he's like, a jacket is just a jacket, but it means something to me. Because Brett's basically like, this food. fucking stupid. I feel dumb yelling at you about my fucking jacket, but I have to make it work somehow. So that was basically what was going through Bret Hart's mind. It was great.
2: That's the story of Brett's 95. Brett gets taken out of the title picture and he has the dumbest pay-per-view matches and he makes them all work somehow.
1: (laughs) I love it. He's going to win the title in two months from Diesel. Oh, are we Just already a,
2: in September for this one? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's bookended exactly. by these two Diesel matches, and in the middle, it's like... That,
1: that, that low-key, horrible Bret Hart title reign where he he beats, I guess, the British Bulldog in December. I, I guess, Queen. Yeah, I don't even remember. But then yeah. he beats The Undertaker at, at Royal Rumble because Diesel runs in. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason. He beats Diesel in February at a cage match because The Undertaker pulls him the hell. Comes out, yeah. Under so, the, yeah right. That's the only reason why he beats him. And then he loses to Shawn Michaels the next month. And it's like, what a reign that was, guys. Really, uh... Really protected the hitman there. But the match where he beats Diesel
2: kicks ass.
1: Yeah, that match is awesome. Yeah. He does beat Diesel clean. He, like, schoolboys him now. So. But, yeah. I don't know. That's where Diesel goes, motherfucking shit. And, like, power... Like, tears apart the... The, uh... I mean, that's what Diesel says on paper. He's like, motherfucking shit! Right after, right? I always confuse that. And, like, because after that, he
2: comes out and does the thing where he yells at Vince on Raw. And I never remember where he... Where he does what.
1: Anyway, so... Uh, this is a, uh, this match is pretty great, I will say. <laughs> like, Brett Brett dives through the ropes uh, right on the pirate, right from the opening bell. It's a great start. Uh, and he gets his revenge right away on the feet. He, like, beats him up all over ringside and pulls the jacket off of him physically. Uh, we get a middle portion of the match that's, like, pretty much just Brett running himself and getting rammed into the corner pads as hard as he possibly can. Certainly entertaining.
2: Oh, yeah. Brett's... He d- he does he gets the, thrown uh, shoulder first twice and he does the run in by himself the one time and they all they look so good I actually have that written down he makes that corner shit look brutal
1: yeah uh so then we get like a long headlock from Jean uh, Pierre that kind of kills him momentum of the match a little bit that was being built up but kind of comes to territory it's mid nineties WWF match what are you gonna do yeah he drops a Hogan esque leg on on Brett and then reapplies the headlock. Uh, thankfully when the headlocks down we get some more big leg drops including one off the top rope and then Jean-Pierre tries a senton bomb here in 1995 even more impressive since he's such a big dude uh, but Brett rolls out of the ring and uh, PCO like he tries to do another flip down to the floor Brett rolls out of the way of that one too so this poor fucker crashes onto the floor as hard as he can like boy that looks like it sucks
2: and Brett's like a mile away yeah. <laughs> like Brett It looks. It's so funny watching. Brett's like no part of this, no
1: part of this large band is landing on me. I don't even want to feel the wind from this. I'm out of here. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Brett then sends him even. So I I missed a part where PCO earlier had sent Brett into the ring steps, and Vince, for some reason, was like, "That's it, Brett's done." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" He threw the band the ring steps like, like I don't understand." Brett's like, "Oh." no, coming back from that, I'm like, what the fuck are you talking? Oh no, he said, and that ends the match and, right there. And that Vince ends the match said. right there, yeah. Yeah, Vince, yeah. and I'm like, he—it's an Irish up in the ring steps, sir. Uh, but yes, Brett sends him even harder the ring steps, and Vince is not like, "Wow, well, PCO is dead." I'm like, you should—I don't know—you should be reading him his last rites compared to the last fucking ring step <laughs> spot you. You said I don't understand it. Uh, but yeah, some insane bumps here. PCO tries for a uh the Finley roll, I guess the. Fireman's carry flip driver. Uh, I will say it's slow, like sloppy and weird looking that Vince at first actually has no idea who did a move on who. And for once, you can't really blame him because it is like, yeah, "Yeah, that was a weird landing. To
2: me, that was like the, uh, when Vince's reaction to that was like when they do the first alley-oop in Semi-Pro. You ever see Semi-Pro? You ever see Semi-Pro?
1: Everyone's like, John, have you ever seen seen an American movie? Uh, Not that many, (laughs) I'll be honest. A few. But yeah, well, I you know, know, it's not like
2: I'm going with classics here. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm naming some pretty yeah. shitty movies. Uh, but yeah, no, it's fun. I was, I was laughing that Vince was just like mystified by that move. <laughs> I had no yeah. idea who got hurt.
1: Um, well, yeah, there we had uh, our pirate friend trying to put his feet on the ropes for the pin but Brett kicks out. That gets a great JR line. He's stolen everything else, so uh, he just tried to steal a match. I don't know I'm trying to do a JR. When JR yeah, said that, cool. I was
2: like, oh, JR's here and, too.
1: Yeah, he was a lot of matches too. He ends up countering a bulldog from Brett by just fucking running him as hard as he possibly can with the turnbuckle pads again, which is a really cool little counter. He, when Brett tries like a big dive on the ropes, PCO ducks and Brett just fucking kills himself like flying into these ropes as hard as he can, like crossbody style. That looked like it sucked. Uh, PCO tries another slosh off the top. Brett rolls out of the way again. You'd think he would stop trying that at some point. <laughs> and then Brett finally gets the sharpshooter, and that's the that's the win. But yeah, this was awesome. Uh, if anything, even better than I remembered. Uh, PCO just bumped like an absolute maniac here. Brett, Brett did some gnarly stuff too, mostly all the running himself and the turnbuckle pads at full force. Uh, I have no idea how this match did not get Mr. Pirate PCO over. Maybe because they didn't give him an entrance, but it didn't because uh, he was basically gone from the company only a couple months later. Uh, they had a rematch on Raw the next night. Did you know that? I saw that in Cage Match when I was looking up what was happening here. Yeah,
2: I've seen it. It's, uh, okay. it's not as good. Uh, okay.
1: It's only 13 minutes long, but yeah. It's but not it's, nearly as good.
2: It's, I mean, it's, it's fun. I mean, this one's got PCO doing, taking more stupid bumps, which in the context of like a 95 WWF show, is like watching Rey Mysterio and Psychosis or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um that's the other thing too like you know i've ne- I've never seen this outside of the context of the show it's on and uh it's funny because i remember it being this like super thrilling match and it's because i watched the whole in your house when i saw this
1: yeah the you know, show sucks
2: yeah show is the show's the rest of
1: the show is horrible uh and yeah, then, four and a quarter on this show i thought it was awesome four and a
2: quarter yeah i'm same. Yeah. four and a quarter i loved it uh yeah. and pco i think what ends up happening is pco's got problems with the click or something um Because I don't know how you don't get over with this match. But that's also, that's what I was getting at earlier. That's like, you know, if you look at like Brett's 95, he's got like the Isaac Gankum match. He's got this, he's got the Hakushi match. And like, it's not that like PCO and Jinsei Shinzaki are bad wrestlers, but like the crowds don't give a shit about any of these people. And all three of these matches, like they rule. They're great. Like even the Isaac Yankum match kicks ass.
1: And uh, I just realized, by the way, um, sorry to interrupt you, but I, I was like, desperately slurping juice out of this fucking uh, slurpy packet, and I think I might have done that right on the microphone, so if that noise came through, listeners, I'm very sorry. It oh, probably did. I heard
2: it, but I've been squeaking this chair. I've been wondering if that's been coming through. It was just a bad episode. I'm, <laughs> I'm, very,
1: I'm very sorry, listeners. You deserve better for your zero dollars than me slurping right into the camera. We talked uh, about uh, gambling
2: for a half hour, and now we're just making strange noises. Really really
1: trying to get some very good lemonade out of this Honest Kids packet, which I really do. I was shoot drinking on it. Look, juice packs are great, I don't, They and this Honest one is like... Only 40 calories when I've been trying to watch my calorie intake a little more. Oh, so I was like, yeah, I'm like, I'm going to fucking drink this shit and I don't care if they're going to tell me it's for children. Yeah, that's and there's right. only 40
2: calories. so You got to make sure you get every single drop out of that thing. You got to make exactly. this juice box count. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, Bret
1: Hart's a good wrestler. I think that's yeah, what I was saying. Drinking <laughs> news. Ooh, Get this. Really dropping dropping hot takes I mean, here. Bret Hart might be pretty good.
2: Also, like watching Bret Hart's like so exciting for me. Not that exciting, but it's exciting for me now. This is my favorite period of Bret Hart. I like this more than even like Hart Foundation Bret Hart. Because it feels like Vince is like try- the booking, it feels like Vince is trying to like sabotage his career. And he's like, I'll make all this trash work. Um <laughs> but uh but yeah, this match in particular, I think, is like such a banger. And forgetting that PC- like PCO, all I know that PCO did was like this, and he comes back for the brawl for all. <laughs>
1: they they brought. But in he's some- in brawl for all, really?
2: Uh, God, I hope I have this right, but I am like ninety five percent sure PCO's in the uh, brawl for all.
1: I mean, the next thing he has him doing on Cage matches. He and he and his partner, I, I forget the fucking guy's name. They're the amazing French Canadians in a uh, WCW. They had a short tag run there, and they jumped right back to the WWF to also do nothing so but that was like a year later so okay
2: um, i double checked he 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 was in the brawl for all
1: okay with one He's working first eye. round or something
2: he gets knocked out by dr death okay you know i mean even yeah. that that's a burial too <laughs> yeah. dr death is supposed to win that thing they hate pco but yeah, yeah uh great match it's my favorite from this period of of nutty brett bookings uh and, uh, like I said, for this period of time, it's legitimately like watching, like, Lucha or something. It's, like, the fastest-paced match, that,
1: <laughs> like, that year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was, it was—it was definitely a lot—went a lot harder than—like, if you watch this match, and you're like, oh, 995 you a ton of stuff like this, you're going to be very disappointed. I Also, so.
2: in the very beginning, um, he did—after uh, after that wild-ass dive, there's, like, a part where, like— the part where Vince is like, ref, get in there, what are you doing? uh pco is just like unloading shots to the back of brett's head <laughs> i felt like right. i was watching uh i was watching iron Fugita, head Fugita Shibata Fugita, again, yeah for yeah, again right yeah right. <laughs> there you go
1: all right folks we can wrap up this uh wonderful episode i hope you enjoyed I, I had a good time i don't know if this, I mean, this is gonna be listenable but you know <laughs> Since when do I care, I guess, is the
2: That's the spirit.
1: Now, I love my listeners. They're all, especially the ones who give me $5 at patreon.com slash wrestling on I think I'm still a patron. Oh, there you go. I, I'm glad you're not. <laughs> like, when Some of these fucking people, it's like, okay, if you sign up, and I don't know who the fuck you are, and you, uh, you unsubscribe, that's one thing. If you fucking sign up to my Patreon and unsubscribe in like a month or two, and I know who you are, like the voice of wrestling people who have done this to me. I'm just like you're. You are really uh, ballsy to assume I want to hold that against you. You know who you are, listeners. Uh, okay,
2: well this means I can't. You just scared F- me out of everyone subscribing. Yeah,
1: there you go. That's the whole idea. <laughs> so there's a couple of voice wrestling contributors who are like, I know who you are. I know you unsubscribed. Don't think I don't remember. I they get that
2: on. G1 coverage and just hit the fucking road. They're out oh, of you here. don't even know, dude.
1: The G1, <laughs> the G1, any like any New Japan tournaments, like everybody signs up. And then everybody immediately drops out, basically. Uh, well, not me,
2: John. I'm a lifer.
1: Thank you. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so it's uh, patreon.com slash omakase. Only five bucks. You want to hear all these Kanahashi Naito matches? There's so much fun. Uh, you know, we're going to go through all the matches eventually, all the ones made tape, obviously. And there's only like one more we have to skip. So after this, it'll be all the ones, uh, you know, in order as they happened. Um, but yeah, even the ones I've done so far, are a lot of fun. Two more a week coming up. And again, no episode next week, nothing on the free feed the week after the Best of Super Junior episode for the last weekend of May, exclusive to the Patreon. So if you want to hear me talk at all for the next three weeks, again, maybe you don't, but you're two hours and four minutes in this episode. So I assume you probably do. Otherwise, like if you're still hate listening at two hours and four minutes of this episode, uh, you, you might want to reevaluate your life, honestly. But. If you do actually enjoy hearing me talk about pro wrestling uh, and you want to hear me for the next 3 weeks the only place will be the Patreon. It will not we will not be back on the free feed until let me give you an exact date. Uh, the first week of June, so like yeah, June 5th basically, something like that, June 5th to 6th. So it'll be a, our longest break in a while here. You're probably used to us taking one week off here or there for a you know, we just do a Patreon episode instead, but this will be a long break. June 5th or 6th is when we'll be back on the free feed. Uh, so maybe maybe you're like, ah, you know, I do like listening every week most of the time, but I need a break from you, John. Great. Then I'm not talking to you. But <laughs> if you want to hear me, uh, still do the one-match episodes and the Patreon exclusive episode in two weeks, which will be a lot of fun. The Best of Super Junior Finals. And we can get anything. We can get, like, you know, recent stuff, older stuff. Who the fuck knows? And a lot of those matches are awesome. So I'm excited to do those with Joey Bay. So that'll be two weeks from now, only on the Patreon. Uh, so again, Patreon.com/slash Wrestling Omakase only five dollars to sign up, and I just basically made it sound like I would shame you if you cancel afterwards. But if I don't know who you are, I won't do that. I promise.
2: You got it. This is a commitment, people.
1: <laughs> I mean, it does. It, I just feel. I do feel a little pang of like, what did I do wrong every time? <laughs> just, uh, when when usually, if I actually check the, uh, I don't know if the trust trying to, to save my feelings or what, but when people do leave a reason. It's usually like, oh, I just got really busy at work or, oh, I just haven't been watching wrestling really anymore, which I can't really blame people during this COVID era. But, you know, I always, I'm always, i always like, well, I must have done something to fail them personally. So that's always my reaction. Oh, leaving a reason? <laughs> I've
2: like, never done that. I should start. Yeah. Really yeah, <laughs> soften the blow. I'll sleep Some people
1: better. do leave a reason. A lot of people do not. A lot of people do not do that, so. But what are you going? Has anyone no, ever just left, like a
2: shitty reason? Is that
1: anyone? No, ever... no, no. No one's ever been like fuck you, John. No, no, no one's ever done that. <laughs> so, but it's always if they leave a reason, it's always something like, you know, I got really busy with work or uh, I'm just really not been watching wrestling or something like that. So, Anyway, <laughs> why they got that topic. anything you want to plug John?
2: Um, uh, I'm on Twitter at old John Hernandez. I play in a band called timeshares at timeshares music. If there's any crossover between people who like my band and listen to this, uh, we're putting up new music on whenever the next band camp day is. So you got the inside scoop right here. Two hours into wrestling on Yeah. uh, sure. um, <laughs> the, uh I play guitar for Maxwell Stern and Roger Harvey, other musicians. If you want to go listen to music I've made and I uh, write stuff for voices wrestling.com and that's all I got. What, you
1: been, what Are you one of these people that never writes anything or do you I had, write stuff?
2: I, I had a hot run. I did a lot of stuff for, uh, I did a lot. I, I'm on all the dragon gate previews and I, okay. um, and uh, I did a bunch of stuff for WrestleMania weekend. What do you mean, John? You didn't read my my WrestleMania weekend GCW uh, reviews? You know,
1: you know, <laughs> I am the biggest consumer of American independent wrestling reviews. You must uh, have missed it, but don't I worry, did, it's still insane. there. You can catch yeah. my
2: uh, my Acid Cup reviews
1: <laughs> all yeah. on the website. So you can follow us on Twitter, folks, at Russell Omikase. At wrestling, of course, would not fit. I, again, if you're not a, not a Patreon subscriber, we'll be back in three weeks. I couldn't fucking tell you what we're going to be talking about. Uh, maybe Dominion, if it actually happens. Uh, maybe, is that Noah D.E.T. show happening around Then I think so, if it's supposed to happen. But, I mean, it changes by the day in Japan at this point. So you never really got to really fucking play it by ear at this point with Japanese wrestling. All right, folks. Uh, so it might be like a fucking five matches episode again, you know. But I mean, this was the first five matches on the free feed in like, you know, six months, I think. So I hope you enjoyed it. And if you love these five matches episodes, if you love this episode... Uh, You can get a million more on the Patreon. We've done so many of them. Again, patreon.com slash wrestling on the All right, I'll stop plugging now. Thank you for listening, uh, and I will see you in like three weeks. Goodbye.